With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, exactly. I don't know anything else other than humble beginnings. You know, it's, um, you know, building, I like the expression, building a ship at sea. You know, you you get out there and get started and then build the ship once you get out there. But uh, if you wait to build the ship sometimes... You know, you're going to be at the end of your life wondering, you know, why didn't you do this or that? But you get out there and get going, and the Lord will, as you said, provide and, and provide along the way. At least that's the way it's always worked with me. Yeah, amen, absolutely. Well, before the break, we were talking about some of the things that, you know, people are talking about, the and well, the Shemitah's coming, and they're looking for stock market crash and all these different things. Well, but... uh what do you think? What do we should we be looking for in Bible prophecy? What needs to come next before we can see the last three and a half or seven years or whatever? Back to you. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned the Shemitah, and I got to tell a joke um, because I was I was uh, talking with somebody. I said, you know, if the way the saying goes, if you want to make fun of something, and and I'm not making fun of this, um, I've I've got to be you know, pretty good friends with uh, Mark Biltz. He's the one that's really uh, been talking about the blood moons or the uh, the Tetrad and, and Jonathan Connor. They really, they're both guys, um, really humble, just genuine guys. And I, I actually did read Mark's book, and, you know, he's so thoroughly qualified. He says, listen, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that according to the Scriptures, the Lord says he sets these things as signs for us. And we should pay attention to this. I mean, he's, he's very balanced, but what happens is when people teach something, then it goes on YouTube, then it goes on the Internet, and other people take it and they run with it, and they attach all these things to it, and they always take it much further than the, the teacher that, you know, themselves that put it out there actually intended. And, uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, that's, that's the danger, obviously, is, um, is taking things further. But, you know, if you're going to make, the, the, here's the joke, is... Uh, if you're going to make fun of something, you know, you say, oh, blood moon, schmud moons, you know, you kind of add that. But now, if you're trying to make fun of the Shemitah, there's really no way to do it. You just say Shemitah, Shemitah. So if you think about it, Jonathan Kahn was ingenious, because if people are trying to make fun of him, they actually just give him double advertising. Uh, they just they just say Shemitah, Shemitah, and then people say, what's that mean? i got to go, I'm going to have to buy this book. But uh, uh, anyway, all right, that one fell flat. So, <laughs> so here's the thing: is but this this is my this, this is my concern is that okay. I you know I ordered a copy of the old book, Eighty Eight Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, and you know a lot of people don't know the subtitle of that book is the Feast of Trumpets, September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. I mean, actually, or maybe it's 21st, 22nd, 23rd. You know, it actually lists the Feast of Trumpets, and, and 
this was the key day that everyone was looking at, and they had their calculations, and they had it all figured out, and the expectations of the Church were on this period. They were looking forward to it for years, and it came and went, and all of the expectations fell flat. And the result of that is that you had a couple decades of much of the Church turning off to the subject of the end times, of disregarding the whole subject of the return of Jesus, and I'm just really concerned, Pastor Dan, that this year is going to come and go without anything of cataclysmic significance, and a lot of people are going to turn off to the subject of the return of Jesus, specifically at the time that we need to be paying attention to this more than ever before. Because I have no question, we are approaching that hour. I have no question about that. But my concern is that everyone's placing so much emphasis on this period, even to the point of saying that we're entering into the final seven years. So, you know, Peter said, look, scoffers, mockers, they're going to come, following their own lust, saying, you know, where is this prom- the promise of his coming? But we, you know, mockers are going to come and mock, but we don't want to give legitimacy to their mocking. We don't want to continually right. cry wolf. And, you know, we want to be responsible. So what are... I don't know if we're already coming up on a break, but what are the signs that need to be fulfilled? Well, the first one, just going backwards, going back to the three-and-a-half-year mark, the first half of the the final seven years, the Jewish temple has to be rebuilt. Now, that doesn't mean that there has to be a brick-and-mortar structure. It could be something as simple as a tent. But the scriptures are clear that the, the sacrifices will be reinstated and there will be something that the Antichrist sets himself up in, proclaiming himself, uh, or not proclaiming himself, but displaying himself as God. Now, of course, most Christians go to Second Thessalonians 2, verse 4. They quote Paul, who says the Antichrist is going to you know, set himself up in the seat of God, in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. But then you have a lot of Christians that say, well, every time that Paul uses that word, nows, in the Greek, uh, they say, and really throughout the several times in the New Testament, they say it's always symbolic, it's always metaphorical. You know, mm-hmm. you're the temple of God. Jesus said he was speaking of the temple of his own body and this sort of thing. The problem with that is that for every reference in the New Testament where it uses the, the word temple in a metaphorical sense, it states outright what it's referring to. It says, you know, you are the temple of God. And then it explains, because God dwells in you. And it it, it basically explains, listen, we're speaking metaphorically here. But in other places, such as 2 Thessalonians, when Paul says this, he doesn't say it's metaphorical. There's no hint that what he's saying here is metaphorical. In fact, what Paul is simply doing is he's actually just quoting passages from Daniel. He's expounding upon passages from Daniel, and I think in particular is uh, Daniel chapter 8, like verses 11 through 12, where we're told that the Antichrist, or the little horn, will magnify himself to be equal with the commander of the host. That's a phrase used, it's a, a title to refer to God or to refer to Jesus. And then the little horn, it says he will remove the regular sacrifice in the place of his sanctuary, that's the commander of the host, was thrown down, and the regular sacrifice is given over to the Antichrist. So the fact of the matter is, if we look at some of these passages in Daniel, there's no way that you can spiritualize or allegorize these things. You can't relegate them to history. 
The angel Gabriel said they pertain to the time of the end. We can be confident that some type of Jewish, whether it's something as simple as a tent or a full-blown, you know, stone temple, will be rebuilt, sacrifices will be reinstated, and then at the beginning of the three-and-a-half-year mark, the Antichrist will desecrate and desolate that temple, cause the offerings to cease, and if there's no temple, if there's no offerings, we're not in the, first, we're not in the final three-and-a-half years. It, we simply are not there, and yet I've heard a lot of Christians jumping the gun and trying to say, oh, well, that's metaphorical, you know, you're reading that wrong. No, a solid, responsible reading of these things, right. the full context of, of everything, there's really no getting around it. Well, won't we literally see that? How do you feel about the two witnesses? I mean, as far as my reading, the two witnesses seem to be literal individuals as well. Um, But, you know, regardless as to the two witnesses, I mean, and that's a big sign, but regardless, the one thing is, is clear is that we will see a temple rebuilt. I mean, I do think the two witnesses are individuals. Some people have tried to say, well, that's the Messianic Jews and the Christians or things like that, but I think they're two literal individuals uh, that will be there prophesying in Jerusalem. Right. I, what, do you, I agree what, what are your you thoughts totally. on that? We, well, absolutely. Okay. I absolutely believe that it's going to be two individuals. I can't take the reading any other way. I believe that, yeah. here's what I read about, believe about the Bible. I believe that that fundamentally the Bible is laid out in a manner that it, that most people should be able to read it and understand it without, you know, having somebody interpret it to them or say, well, that means this or that. I, I go with plainly reading it, and that's what it looks like. I also believe, I agree with you, there needs to be a temple rebuilt. And uh, you came across, like even the Sanhedrin, you know, talking about working with uh, the Muslims about rebuilding that temple. So there's lots of things going on, but, you know, uh, what is it? People just want the dramatic? Is that what they're doing? Is they're just pushing that dramatic to sell books? Or do you think they really believe all that? I don't know. I just think that, yeah, Christians, it's almost like they're getting so excited. Basically, the the uh, the argument that's being pushed is they say, listen, people missed Jesus in the first time. When he came the first time, they missed it because they thought they had their prophecies all figured out. And they're kind of saying, how do we know that we thought we had it all figured out, but we're not wrong? And they're kind of trying to remove all of the signposts to infer that we're right at the door. But the truth is, when you really look at the New Testament, it was, it was the, the individuals that actually did study prophecy, they're the ones that, that, that received Jesus. They're the ones that actually received him as Messiah. You look at the Magi, you know, that came from, from the East. I, in my opinion, these guys were probably either Jews or trained by Jews in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they were looking to the prophecy of Mike 5 that says the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They were looking to uh, Numbers 24 that says a star will rise up out of Jacob, a scepter from Israel. And, you know, they were looking at different prophecies that spoke of the coming of the Messiah, and these pro- their understanding of the prophecies led them to a, to a stable in Bethlehem, you know, I mean, literally, or, or at least to his house. And they found him. It was those that were studying the prophecies. It were those that were not studying the prophecies 
that were following after their own desires, they're the ones that missed him. But for those that were carefully paying attention to the prophecies, the Lord promised to guide those that are humble and peering into his word. So I don't buy the argument that says, you know, of course, yes, there's danger if you're proud and you think you have it all figured out and every detail and nuance. But for those that are peering into the scriptures, I believe the Lord is going to guide us and open. You know, so when you come along and, and then really just try to twist the Word of God and say, well, Paul was just speaking metaphorically, I say, okay, well, let's look at the argument. And the bottom right. line is the argument doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water. And so we have right. to submit ourselves to the Scriptures. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. You know, I, I have a friend, and I won't mention his name, but, you know, he's all off on a, you know, he, he does radio, but he's all off on a timeline thing, and he's super excited. And the last time I seen this this happen to the, this this friend of mine was Y2K. You remember Y2K? Not. Um, and, you know, so many people, like you said, I, I, I fear they're going to run away after the end of this year if, if half the world doesn't blow up, you know what I mean? Then they're going to run away from hearing about Bible prophecy right when they do need to hear it. But they did the same thing at Y2K. I know for years people uh, that were really into, uh, you know, Bible prophecy completely will not even back into it, period, because so much was said that was going to happen at Y2K, and it didn't. And that that is what we're seeing a repeat of, I think. I could be wrong, you know. Maybe the Shemitah will bring another economic collapse and so on and so forth, and good news for Israel, but... Um, Amen. We're still not ready for the three and a half years. As you say, there's things that we haven't seen. I believe in the scriptures. That's the thus saith the Lord, not man. Back to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, just briefly, the other issues before we enter into the seven years is we need to see the Antichrist arise as what he's referred to in Daniel 7 and 8 as a little horn. In Daniel 11, with the help of a small people, he arises as a leader of small significance. He rises and overthrows three leaders, and he grows in power until he's able to enter into this covenant with the leaders of Israel that's spoken of in Daniel 9 and Isaiah 28. And so we haven't seen the rise of the Antichrist, and we haven't seen the covenant. And so yeah. you know, we've already established that we're not entering into the final three and a half years and we're not entering into the final seven years. This year is not the beginning of the final seven years. We don't know when it is, but it's definitely not the September, because the signs have not aligned. And so now is the time to hold steady. Like you said, we could see the next episode of Judgment on America, but that's very different than saying we're entering into the final seven years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I do see some things prophetic. I actually believe that that Obama is prophetic in the sense that I believe America had to turn away from Israel and quit being its protector in order for, you know, um, for certain things to happen in the world in Bible prophecy. In order for the nations to realign themselves, those dictators that were over there keeping everything down had to be taken out of the way and so that it, the, it could shift. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. The Lord is sovereign. And you know, as difficult as it is, he's allowed Obama to come in and make the mess that he has. And, um, you know, and, and yet the, the crazy thing, you know, I, I was really I was reading the scriptures, talking with a friend today. 
I was looking at the reality that here was Paul. When Paul said in Romans, submit to the authorities, he wrote that when there was this Roman Caesar who claimed to be God, who was crazy, who was persecuting Christians. And Paul says, now listen, submit to the authorities. Submit to Caesar. And I was going, well, you know, Obama's horrific, but at least, I mean, yeah, we've got another year. <laughs> he, he hasn't claimed to be God yet. So, you know, if Paul could have written that in the first century, it's amazing that, um, it's amazing to think that, uh, you know, the, the yeah. enmity that exists among Christians today. I can't yeah. stand our present administration, but, you know, the Lord has put them, he's put them there. He's allowed yeah. that, that government to be put in place. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there, there's different purposes for it, but, you know, um, they want change. You know, they need to pray for change. But, you know, I don't know about you, but you know how I, I can't count how many people have tried to send me convincing, to their eyes, really convincing prophecies that Obama is, you know, the Antichrist, you know, and that we're, we're you know, he's going to do it all. And I'm astounded at those people. I wonder if they've ever even read their Bible at all, because, you know, the Antichrist, like you you wrote the book, The Islamic Antichrist, a great work. It clearly points, and the Mideast Beast, they clearly point and give a description of who he is, where he's going to come from. But I guess they use replacement theology. Back to you. Well, you know, it's just Christians have a long history of pointing to whoever is the political or theological enemy of the day, the boogeyman of the day, and saying this is the Antichrist. Now, you know, you could say he is an Antichrist. He is, you know, there are many Antichrists, but he is not the Antichrist. The Antichrist, according to the Scriptures, and this is another example where we needed to be rooted in the Scriptures, it says that he is the, um, he is from Magog. He is the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Well, again, you open any Bible atlas, and that's going to point you to Asia Minor or Turkey. Um, it says that he arises as a little horn, a leader of small significance. He replaces three other leaders, and then he takes control over ten kings. You know, these are not things that can be said of Obama. And my mind flashes to the old Monty Python film when the boy's mother peeks her head out of the window and all these people are gathered, and, and she says, you know, he's, he's not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty little boy. And, um, you know, yes, o Obama is not the anti-Messiah. He's not the Antichrist. He, the he's Antichrist, when he comes, <laughs> he's just a naughty <laughs> little boy. But he's, you know, we're, we're underestimating the Antichrist, I guess is my point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, anyway... Yeah, we got about a minute and a half left. So, what would you like to leave off with the last two minutes of the program? Let's just pray. Let's pray real quick. I'll pray and I'll turn it over to you. Okay, Father, uh, we we do we we enjoy uh, laughing and, and having a good time and and being silly about these things. But we know that very sober and serious times are upon us and upon our nation. And uh, we do, we ask that you would touch your people, you would touch your church, you would take away the spirit of fear that I see prevalent over so much of the church, and you would give to us a spirit of a, of a sound mind and confidence in you, a sobriety, that people would repent of their sins and get right with you, but that they wouldn't do so um, in, a, in a panicked, anxiety, fear-driven 
uh, spirit, that they would do so with sobriety and in the fear of the Lord. We ask that you would prepare your people. We ask that you would give us wisdom for the days ahead, that your, your radio hosts, your shepherd, your leaders, your teachers would have wisdom as we speak forth your word and try to bring uh, bring balance to uh, to your people. And we do. We ask that you would prepare us for the days ahead, and we entrust these things to you in the name of Jesus. In Yeshua's name, dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua's name, Father, we do thank you for the time that we do have and that these things aren't completely upon us, that we still have time to work. So, Father, I pray that we're able to wake up to people to see the real signs of the time and realize that they have time to work and before the darkness comes and that they use that time and support the men that are out there that are doing that work if they can't do it themselves so that they do so the righteousness comes forth and that they build relationships with you instead of with the world in Yeshua Hamashiach's name thank you in Yeshua's name amen and amen well Joel it's been great tell the people where you're at again um, yeah Joel's trumpet joelstrumpet.com and um, you know I've got all my uh, all my resources there and I have just put out two new uh, DVDs by the way I probably totally forgot to mention that to you one just came out and I've got another one coming out here in about a week I'll send you an email with that but I've got where is America in Bible prophecy and what comes next in the Middle East oh really yeah I'd love to see him and I'd love to share him with the church but yeah amen so uh, folks go over and check him out at, at joelstrumpet.com and we'll see you later Joel thanks for coming on and visiting with me I really appreciate it thanks a lot brother You. okay bless you bless you Pastor Dan love you man alright be, be blessed bye bye well folks that was Joel Richardson and he whether he says it or not or knows it or not he's got a lot of stuff going on you should go over to his web, website and Joel is a realist, you know. He's not saying that, that the, the Shemitah isn't going to happen and that the economy isn't going to crash, but it's some of the over-dramatizations of it, you know. Uh, I think we all just need to look at it. And don't be, dis, don't be disappointed if the, the Shemitah or Great Judgment doesn't happen on America. Praise the Father that it didn't happen and that we have more time to work. You know, because it is getting darker and darker by the day. And so we need to get prepared while there is still light. So pray about it, folks. And pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church. Also, when you go to Joel's site, go over and check him out. Anyway, we must remember, though, there is only one God, and he is your father. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is Yeshua HaMashiach. He gave his life for repentant sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way to the Father. Remember, always, 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 I can't say it enough, always be a blessing to others. That's what really counts, you know, not worldly goods, you know. It, it, so, amen. Okay, i got to get out of here. Lord our God, Father, King Universe, asking Yeshua Hamashiach's name that the Father blesses and keeps you, and His face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 668. 668- 
888-379-2851. Tune in next time from Messiah's Branch. Food prices going up, homes being foreclosed, unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. How you doing, John? Well, Richard, Richard, good evening, and uh, we'll say good evening to our listening audience. Apparently, uh, we have been informed that Patrick McGain, our host, has had technical difficulties, so he'll be along in about less than a minute, hopefully. So we, we don't have technical difficulties, do we? <laughs> not really. I hope not. No. Is uh, Adam on, or do you know? Well, I don't hear him. Well, uh, he sent me some, 
emails, and uh, they were very interesting. Did you get those too? I I did I did also, and uh, I thought they were very interesting. And uh, one of them was on uh, on uh, Doctor Kelly and the comparison with uh, um, the Doctor uh, Gonzalez. Yeah. 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 They had an out. They had fallen out. I was amazed at that. Well, you know, Dr. Kelly had told me that, and that's why I was suspicious. You know, years ago, when when uh, when he came, Gonzalez came on the scene because Kelly had always said that, you know, he was a turncoat, he was a traitor. But um, I think, as I know from Dr. Kelly, was failing towards the end. But he was a little maybe delusional, and he was just a little gun shy and jumpy. But uh, Gonzalez never said a bad thing about Kelly. He always praised him and always gave him credit for for his knowledge. And you know, Kelly was one genius. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. Gonzalez, Gonzalez always gave him credit. You know. Well, the way they eliminated him, though, it makes you wonder if maybe he wasn't following orders properly. Well, that could be. You know, because you know, there's an uh, agenda. The agenda well, could have included uh, a fake killer. That that could be. That could very well be. That might be what they're working on. They wanted to bring out a big fake cure that wouldn't work, you know. And well, he probably imposed that because he dedicated his life to it. Well, some of the research I, I, I found, I discovered that uh, definitely that uh, Gonzalez w- was working with the uh, with the protein GCMAF and uh, was involved with it. So, yeah, that's that's true. But what I'm saying is that the whole theory is sort of questionable, you know. Yeah. Well... I mean, uh, I'm suspicious of everything. Well, <laughs> in other words, reality is very hard to get your get your hands on because uh, it's their shapeshifters. Remember the shapeshifters? You touch them, they change shape. No, I know. Those, that's one area I'm not familiar with, Richard. Oh, well, it's uh, it's the way history is being handled. Uh, the victor writes the latest history, you know. Well, it's like yeah. on the Ukraine and, and all the trouble with Putin and all that. It's mostly mythical, you know. Right. Well, there's a lot of myth. But they create a situation and blame the other party. Yeah. And that's false flag, false flag, false flag. Yeah. But well, it generates war and they make money out of war. Is this oh, Eustace okay. Mullins? Is this Eustace Mullins? Do I hear Eustace Mullins? You there he is, the vanishing host. I the uh, forgive we had a, we had some technical difficulties. There was uh, we? Uh, lightning uh, reflected off the swamp gas of Jupiter, which caused a great interference, and we apologize. Adam and I have now joined you, but you know I well, think it's that it's, invisible uh, invisibility cloak you have it cuts out the communication. <laughs> you forget you forget and turn it on every once in a while. I asked you not to mention that. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, I, but I, we need to forget the pills. Forget things, pills. I don't know if anyone announced. This is the Sulphur Plus One on American Voice Radio, et cetera, et cetera. Hi, John. Hi, Richard. Anyone else Hi. who's joined and needs to speak up, Adam and I are here. But, you know, there's pretty soon in a couple of days, all of the dead doctors that are dead will not even be news that they weren't already not news. <laughs> oh, that's like double English there, double speak. Well, yeah, isn't, that, isn't that what our government does? Well, they do it very effectively. Yeah, um, you know, my my great great grandfather look at the people from the government and say, "You have forked tongue," <laughs> and yet and the, yet the idiot Cherokee agreed to follow the forked tongue <laughs> all the way to Oklahoma. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, you know, so that these men and women and caregivers did not die in vain. You know, uh, if, if, if you go to a uh, Eustace Mullins on Rockefeller, he explains what Rockefeller did to the homeopathic movement and what caused Richard to become an MD, medical doctor, allopathic situation. And, you know, and this is was, this was a very, very, I mean, Hutton Cremone, Cremone talks about this man as an evil genius. Well, guess what? He was. But guess what? He's dead. And guess yeah, what? He's not. Yeah, but his min, you know, Minions? his followers are still alive and well, like his kids. I know, but hey, I found I found a great I found a great source for hangman's rope. Eighty-five cents a foot. I mean, come on, how can you compete with that? <laughs> well, you know, we can we can make the minions believe that we're going to hang them, and then they'll run away. They'll probably go to uh, Jamaica where they have voodoo. Yeah. And uh, all we have to do is scare them. We don't have to hurt them. Just scare them. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Eustace Mullins because Richard has mentioned him more than once. And that guy was truly amazing. I mean, he really revealed a lot of truth in several of his books. I mean, it's just uh, really compelling uh, information out there. People should avail themselves of it. Yeah, and and this happens to be a video uh, from 2005. When Eustace Mullins, how old was Eustace Mullins when he decided to take the rocket ship to Spain, Richard? A rocket ship to Spain? When he died. (laughs) He just died two years ago, didn't he? No, he's been gone longer than that. Okay, well, you know, but when you see him, even though he is not the stature of, of, you know, Richard L. Stump or the age, this is a vibrant man. This is a man who's using all of his faculties to consider what's happened in, on the planet. And uh, I don't know if he reads well, because, you know, I don't read a lot. And, uh, but I have a funny feeling that Richard's a, a fan of his reading, but maybe more of us should find out who Richard, uh, what's his name is. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry, not Richard. I got it confused. Uh, Eustace. Eustace Mullins. And I, you know, Eustace is a biblical name, and I, we won't go and research it right now. But, you know, we all can be Eustace Mullins. We can all use our brains. We can all fight tyranny. We can all say no. You know, if there's a title for this show on the uh, 13th of October, it's just say no, as Nancy Reagan said. You know, she told all the kids to ride on the, on the fences around their schools just say no to drugs. So that's all we have to do. Just say no to drugs. Just say no to vaccines. Just say no to politicians. Just say no to anybody who's trying to get us to say yes against our will. Okay, now that, that, Yeah, I mean, the um, for uh, for Agenda 21 to work, they should have in, in, invoked all of its principles a long time ago, and they didn't. Why? Because they're making too much money other places. So what they've done is now they're going to invoke all these things, and there's too many of us. I mean, even William Shatner said it. There's too damn many people. (laughs) And Patrick's not here to do his famous William Shatner, you know, to go where no man has gone before, to be healthy. You know, and what's wrong with that? Well, they forgot women. Women go where men never go. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm yeah. I'm not sure that that's. I know it's pertinent, but I'm not sure it's pertinent or germane to this discussion because we were just talking about the 
you know, the hairy men. We weren't talking about the beautiful women. We were talking about the hairy men. You know, no one's ever tried to make an argument that woman is a Neanderthal. Never. But men are referred to as Neanderthals all the time. Why is it? Why, do we, why is that? Just because women don't have hair everywhere? All right, so GCMAF is a macrophage enab enabler. That's my take on it. From reading what other people have read about it. And the thing that I find is interesting, these poor people were killed for redoing this research and organic sulfur really sounds like it works better than the GCMAF. Only the meek and the sulfate is shall inherit the earth. Oh, uh, thank you very much. For <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Uh, that's, well, what show is that from? <laughs> Last week. By the way, remember that the GCMAF is actually a medical treatment, $4,500 just for starters, based on DNA, which cancer is not, and yeah. sulfur is based on the whole shimoli. Yeah, it's, it's, sulfur doesn't care about DNA. You know, the last time that sulfur asked anybody for their papers was 1941. You know, and the, uh, the other thing that's interesting about GCMAF, and uh, we should have Susan Bennett joining us soon. She's a fan of uh, GCMAF uh, yogurt. And Jeff Bell, who won't be joining us, is not a fan of GCMF yogurt. <laughs> and I don't know either which of, you know, I don't have either one. All I know is what I read from Dr. Bradstreet and the other people who've written so eloquently about GCMF, it sounds like someone broke into our study and took all of our written material, of which we have none, and published it. But I know they didn't do that because we haven't written anything down. We, you know, we, we depend on photographs. That's how we see what people are doing. Yeah, don't you see a lot of changes, uh, Patrick, with people who initially send a photograph and then after the sulfur uh, resend you a photograph? Uh, and well, yeah, they're, they're, the, the new photographs are younger. You know, well, I mean, he's getting plastic surgery, I'll tell you that. Well, we've had a, mm -hmm. a number of study members who've been accused of having plastic surgery. They didn't have. Well, it's much better than that because there's no drawbacks <laughs> like you get plastic yeah, surgery. Well, they're somehow so, end up grotesque, you know. You know, uh, women know what these two terms mean. Men don't always know. A turkey neck. You know what a turkey neck is, Richard? Uh, who did what? Uh, about, do you know what a turkey neck is? Men have it, too. I, I know, but that men don't talk about it. Women do. <laughs> okay, and we've had a whole series of turkey necks go missing. We don't know where they've gone. <laughs> You know, they're just well. I take them and cut them off for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, excuse me, I'm not going to suggest to the women who call me on the phone. I'm I'm not going to suggest that, especially if they're the ones who tell me they're gone. They've gone missing. I woke up; it wasn't there. You know, if you allow your biology to regenerate, then age really doesn't have much to do with it. Yeah. Well, they're very common where a person has, has been heavy and they lose weight. And uh, the organic sulfur definitely pulls that up tighter and tighter uh, as you stay uh, at a lighter weight. It just takes time. you got to be patient and keep taking it. And most people don't take enough organic sulfur to really uh, learn what all it can do for you. It is actually magical. 
Yeah, and the uh, and the ones who, uh, you know, the ones who don't, but they still call to reorder. Um, it, it, it's interesting because I asked them, well, why would you want more of this crappy stuff? And and you know, and initially they they can't think of an answer, and then they start to think of the, of why. I mean, you know, just yesterday was well, my knees don't hurt anymore. Well, what about your vision? Well, you know, you know, you go back to that MAF stuff, J-M-A-F, uh, supposedly based on DNA and preventing cancer. Yeah. Uh, that is pathetic. That's got to be a red herring. I well, don't think there's any valid research on that. Like yeah. You said, uh, I think they, they, the results of organic sulfur and claim that they're doing that. But the basic premise is totally wrong. Well, that's why, you know, that's why I wanted to discuss the what I read about what it does expensively and by injecting it into your gut I, once a week, in, in pharmacology is what it is. They worked that in politics so it's getting to be old stuff, but now, now they're going to pull it off in medicine and they try to get people away from natural remedies. That's the idea. Make them think that the scientists are really in there going to solve this by using DNA. And the DNA will just cause more cancer because it messes up uh, your, your entire cell matrix. Exactly. And, you know, here, here's the thing that's so funny. Um, your DNA, Richard L. Stump, is like no other DNA on the planet. Now, how do we know that? Because Interpol and all the investigative people at the land say, no, that's your DNA. No one else has that DNA. Now, you know, they're talking about changing our DNA. And they may be able to pull that off, but if you can get your cells, the stem cells, all those little cells that were conceived in the back of that uh, 1841 uh, uh, carriage where you were conceived, um, you know, those are your cells. They're no one else's cells. And if you put all of the necessary nutrients back in, then you, re, you, know, you go back to that original conception DNA biology. And you, you know, I mean, we, you know, eight, 77 years old is our average age in the study. Um, no one's dead from cancer. Uh, those people who were in the stage just flat refused to die. No one has any allergies. Uh, uh, asthma is, is, is a form phrase now. It used to be bad. No one's on oxygen. You know, it's just like a litany of what they're saying about GCMF. But this you just put in your mouth twice a day. That's right. You don't have to jump through hoops. That's right. And, you know, and, and being that the uh, those people that we sort of in, interacted with, there's, you know, there's 1.6 million hits for organic sulfur. Oh, and a third of those people are selling it. My goodness, are, are, are we all going to get killed off? Oh, well, uh, the beauty of organic sulfur, it's, it was planned and created by God. And uh, these chemists just are not God. I, I, I don't think people realize that these genetic modification things are all evil. They're basically evil. They're trying to duplicate what God does, and they just can't get it done. They're killing millions of people. I'll, I'll send like that roundup. That roundup is deadly. You ought to see the rules on what you have to wear when you put it out. And most of these idiots will go out in their regular clothes and just spray roundup all over the neighbors and their, their lawn and everything else. They're crazy. Something and there's like, no doubt that it alters your DNA. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, 
Adam, you may have heard about this. Evidently, some guy went into a uh, hardware store to buy Roundup in Encerito. And as he reached for the bottle, some mysterious ninja creature came out from the <laughs> ceiling and cut his hands off. Did you hear about that in the news? Sounds interesting. You know, it, if we have to take that stance, you know, someone's going to buy rice. Now, hold it just a minute. Do you know what you're doing to my children and my grandchildren and your children? Do you have any idea what you're doing? Oh, no. That's why the ninja guy comes down and cuts their hands off. And if we can hire more of these ninja guys, every time someone tries to give a vaccine, the ninja guy will drop down out of the ceiling and cut their hands off. Well, I say you're apt to do that. Well, they, That's no, why they, they don't want them illegally. Yeah, they cover their faces and, and cut helpless people. You know, someone who's giving a vaccine is not a helpless person. They're attacking a child or attacking a human being. There's a big difference. And, you know, those... Uh, Jill Larkin sent me some pictures of all these uh, ISIS guys, and you could their their tattoos are exposed. They're all U.S. guys. <laughs> yeah, that's much ridiculous. <laughs> you know, Patrick, maybe maybe we should get uh, Donald Trump informed about uh, all this stuff, and uh, he might be a spokesperson. Can you fly that 747? Uh, send me to school. Get me hired. Well, I'm, 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 I, what we were thinking was just sneaking you on board and having you push a, the on button. Oh, no, no. It's not that easy. Oh, okay. But, well, uh, I had to ask. I, you know, before I set this up, I had to ask. Um, the, uh, used to, the, uh, I'll try to send the, the thing I found on Houston Mullins around because it's really a very, very... This Houston Eustace Mullins on Rockefeller. You know, how did Rockefeller end up controlling everything? Because he bought up Carnegie without Carnegie even knowing it. Carnegie wanted to give everything away. So he said, okay, I'll Rockefeller said, I'll put all my people in charge, and then it'll be the Rockefeller Foundation instead of the Carnegie Foundation. This is just an amazing, you know, memorization. I mean, he's just telling you what he's learned over the years. This fellow named Eustace Mullins sitting in a, in a hallway and, you know, in between meetings talking to a guy who's got a microphone. And it's the sort of information, and Richard mentioned this two, two weeks ago. He said, all of you folks out there sitting on their derrieres should go to the library and get a, some books written by Eustace Mullins and find out exactly why someone's trying to take your life. Call the New World Order. And Patrick, I've just been informed by our producer, we have a guest. I didn't catch the name, so oh, I'll it's, it's Sue Bennett. Sue Bennett. Hi, Patrick. And, yeah, and, and just for those people who are who listen to us for some reason all the time, Sue Bennett's the uh, the mother of the honky tonk piano player who played some nice music for us, including our theme, and uh, or one no, it was one uh, over the rainbow. But uh, I guess about four or five weeks ago, he played a two minute and twenty two second uh, amazing piano virtuoso. Oh, thank you. On behalf of Will. I'm letting him know that I wasn't the only person impressed. And, uh, I mean, I, I can't even play the kazoo. Patrick, is she going to play the piano tonight for us? Um, well, he, I don't think so. He's not He's not here tonight, unfortunately. But maybe next time. Yeah, and but Sue's been, Sue's an autism coach. You know, people who tried everything in the world, they'll either call Sue or they'll call us because everyone else has told them, look, put your son or your child in a home. You know, your genes are bad. Lock them up. 
And, and Sue doesn't believe that's true, and so she tries to do what she can to t turn that around, including using GCMAF. This now, is true. I've, I've, I've just been trialing this. Yeah, we've changed Sue's name. Her name is not really Sue Bennett. Don't think that you can look her up and track her down if you're those evil people. You know, her name is really Miley Cyrus. Aha. Uh Aha. -huh. Uh -huh. So, you know, the, uh, and she has a wrecking ball and all that sort of stuff. But, <laughs> You know, well, the, uh, I'm here to, pro to, to provide some, well, I guess, a little information on my experience with GCMAF. Okay, please do. Okay, well, I'm actually not using the injectable form, which is not unavailable because it was because that, that the plant in, on the Guernsey Islands was seized and shut yeah. down, and the only place you can get it is in, in Japan, and it's not made the same way. There, but okay. however, and this is yeah. on the actual original website, there is a probiotic, and you can make GCMAF yogurt. Now I don't know if you I don't I kind of came in in the middle of your conversation so I don't know how much you've discussed about what it is. Oh we don't we don't know we have this is so simple because we don't have the faintest idea what it is. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you what it is. It's actually not a, a man-made um, molecule. It's something that actually naturally occurs in your body. It's actually a molecule, a protein that naturally occurs in your body that activates the immune system in the macrophage. It's the ma MAF is macrophage activating factor and GC is the type of protein it is and your body normally makes it when it's healthy and what it does is it will go and it basically kill cancer cells and and it will and and it will also wipe out viruses and things like that it activates the immune system to do that what the, the theory behind it is um, and it was the late Dr. Jeff Bradstreet who was the major proponent of it within the United States is that what it does is that when you get chronically ill the things that are the toxins in your body, like viruses and cancer cells, actually produce an enzyme called nagalase, N-A-G-L-A-S-E, nagalase. And this enzyme actually suppresses, causes the immune system to be suppressed, which isn't actually too surprising so that the, the pathogens aren't kicked out. They don't, they don't want to go away. And so when you reintroduce this externally, because your body normally makes it, but when you get really chronically ill, it becomes suppressed, and you don't produce enough of this, all it does is it stimulates the immune, switches on the immune system again, and you start kicking out things. And, and the research that was done, that at least is on the, 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 the main website for the, the, the product that was shut down, which was in the, the U.K., um, indicated in, in Dr. Bradstreet's website that over, I think, 3,000 children with autism have now been treated with their form, which is no longer available thanks to the rating of the... the the health authorities, the equivalent of their FDA, raided them and shut them down. For no, just be, and I think and there's a lot of suspicion is that's because of the fact that it was actually working really well. And um, what they found was pretty, pretty consistently statistically, they had a 15% cure rate, which is unheard of in autism. 15% of kids lost all symptoms of autism. 85% improved, and 15% it did nothing. And so I, after the, I, I was toying around with uh, trying it out because I like to uh, because I'm first of all my my honky tonk piano piano son is on the autism spectrum and he was wanting to and we've been thinking about trying it because he's doing really great but we thought well let's see if this can take him a little further and, sure. and he and he's also been taking the sulfur and so we we do you know a few different things and so we 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 ordered it and made the yogurt. Okay. And, um, and what you do is you kind of hold it in your mouth because you, you actually can absorb some of the molecules directly in the mouth, like sublingually. And then you swallow the rest of it, and with a little bit of luck, you start making it. Your body, just like a probiotic, it's a blend of probiotics that actually 
that was very carefully formulated to actually make this protein. And sure. so we um, we tried it. We're not sure it's working. That's our that's uh, it, it, there's a reason for that. It, it works well for most people except if you have Lyme disease. And we may have undiagnosed Lyme disease. And when that happens, apparently Lyme disease is very tricky to get rid of. And when you wake up the immune system, it has ways of protecting itself. Some of the things that are the the, the, the and, and so. If for, for, for Lyme disease, it can actually, it, it's like it, it, it fights it, and, 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 but, and so we're not sure, so we, we, we think it was, it's doing something, okay, but for so us, it, was making, so, it seems to be worsening our symptoms a bit. So, so, so we're about to go to break, and I don't want you to get caught in the middle of a story. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry if I'm rambling oh, on oh, too oh, much. No, no, that's all right. Frank, you know, Frank generally uses lightning bolts and just zaps you with them, but I don't want that to happen. Oh. And, uh, but, so we'll be back in five, and... Uh, <laughs> Everyone rush to the party and hurry back. I caught you knocking at my cellar door. I love you, baby. Can I have some more? Oh, the dance. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family.
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back. You're listening to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on American Voice Radio. Tonight, our special guest is Sue Bennett. Now, Sue Bennett is a lion tamer from Illinois, <laughs> and but we're not going to talk about that because she's she has some experience with GCMAF, and that's that's sort of our discussion. So you know, have to email her regarding the lion taming, and then Mark from Australia, who by the way makes GCMAF. <laughs> well, maybe not. You know, why not? Hey, you know, they, you want to if you want to sell some to the Aussies while they get themselves mandatory vaccinated. Hey, you want some of this stuff? Hey, hey. Okay, so uh, and so the discussion is all about GCMF. Richard L. Stump, of course, has joined us. John Panagudi has joined us. Adam Bernstein has joined us, and the entire the entire Mormon Tackernet choir is in the other room. <laughs> so, but what, you know, what we were discussing was. Uh, Sue's experience with GCMAF, not as a clinician, 
She doesn't have a shingle. She's no doctor person. She talks to folks, you know. She <laughs> she tries to help with information, with knowledge. I know it's a weird way to go about it, but that's what she does. I have a website uh, called Autism Coach, and I, I provide nutritional consultations for people with autism. I've been doing that for 15 years. But it's not, I don't, I'm not a licensed medical practitioner. Well, that means you can't turn it into your uh, Medicaid or Medicaid, you know, but if you want to get better, you can still call her. Or yep. if your child wants to get better, you can still call. You I'm know, always willing to listen. Yeah, now you were, you know, you were uh, halfway through the dissertation <laughs> on, uh, on Jeff Bradstreet stuff. Right. And if, and if you don't mind me interrupting, um, we have a thousand people who have not advanced in their cancer. We have 500 who have not gone from stage three to stage four. We have uh, 104 end stage folks who refuse to die. They just refuse. They just flat refuse. They're not going to die. They, you know, they don't go back and see the doctor. They're going on cruises. They're doing just fine. We have 29 children who are back, B-A-C-K. They ride the bus, they communicate, they read, they write. Uh, we don't have any of the kids who are just better because if mom doesn't take the sulfur, the kid doesn't get better. That's our experience. You know, it's not DNA. It's, it's mom. It's the eye contact from nursing. That's how the kids come back. How do they remember who they are? From nursing. And, you know, you're a mom, you nursed. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I have wonderful breasts, but I've never nursed. <laughs> you know, so with that in mind, if you would, please continue, because, you know, there are well, so many people... Like, like, the, like the DCMAF doesn't really change your DNA. It simply stimulates the immune system through this protein that your body naturally produces. It's, it's not something that changes you. It just yeah. kind of gets your immune system going again. And it also has been used very successfully... By a lot of people, because of that, it's also very has been been in, in trials for cancer as well, and um, so there's so there, there's I don't know where we're, we're, there's so many directions you, we could go in talking about well, this. The, the, the one direction. Can I ask you? Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Sorry, hi Sue. How are you? It's Mark here from. I'm oh, fine, Mark. How are you? Really well, thank you. Good. Uh, whenever you, whenever you. You're like hopping on a plane, coming to Australia. You have um, a place to stay. Wow, a um, pleasure. Pleasure to talk um, to you. Yeah, likewise. I just want to ask you just a quick question with regards to uh, your dealing with this GCMAF and and um, and obviously you know, highlighting the, the need for, for, for the cure for, I suppose, is it autism you initially got into um, the GCMAF? Um, the double-barrel question. With regards to um, when highlighting this to people or to parents whose children do have autism, do you find that there is a fear that they don't want to go outside of the the realms of the the, the medical fraternity? Do you, and, um, oh, well, that's a that's a whole story in and of itself. Well, <laughs> the only way you're going to get your kid cured is to run and flee from the the, med the mainstream medical fraternity. They're the ones that caused the illness in the first place. Yep. And, and so um, I find that in my particular, the people that come to me, it depends. I, I would say that the children that do the best are the parents that seek out the alternative ways of helping their children. And the children who are most impaired are the parents who do the, the least in that respect. 
Okay, so it really comes down to the parents open, being open-minded, because I know that certainly when I started with this journey with sulfur, as much as people wanted to believe and yes, this can help them, they had this 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 trend, this habit of going back to the doctor and asking the doctor about sulfur. Now, doctors don't know much about sulfur, and so <laughs> then you'd find that people really become their own worst enemies, and so they stick to the to the regime and. Um, so I'm just wondering if you found that you were in a, beating your head up against a brick wall going through this exercise, because I know a few people who do have um, children with autism, and I'd love to be able to direct them in this in this direction. Oh, it's very it's 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 right. I, I mean, it it is very difficult if somebody is determined to stay with the mainstream medical community. Like when my my son was amongst the first generation of the autism epidemic. He was born in 1992. And I went to when I, he went to, through school. He's now like 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 22 years old. When he first entered school, there was a whole bunch of kids that had just become autistic because they just introduced the MMR vaccine in 1988, and that's when the spike epidemiologically occurred in the U.S., where where suddenly there became this epidemic where there was none before. And um, my son was unfortunately one of the people affected. And um, the, I, I, I what I found is that the parents. There were parents in, that were, you know, several in my, my son's school that wanted to be the parent that did everything that they were told to by the authorities. Those kids turned out the most impaired. My son, I, I just simply it went my own path, and he turned out higher functioning. And it's unfortunate, but some people would rather just get the pat on the head and have, say, good parent or, you know, by from the doctor or the teacher rather than think for themselves and, 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 and thwart the, the, what society's expectations are, I guess, or, you know, what, what they, they think sure. is. And, and, and so, you know, I, I agree with you. You can hit your head. It's like talking like politics or religion. Some people are talking about vaccinations. That's a, that's like a religion in itself too. There's the the, the pro vaccine, the anti vaccine. Some people they're just so you can't argue with them about about it, even yeah, about a specific exactly. vaccine. And so yeah. you know it's 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 sad because the, the lives in, uh, of these children and their futures are dependent on these parents, and if they won't consider. Um, the alternatives, then their children stand a much reduced chance of having uh, achieving their potential and maybe overcoming autism to a great extent. Yeah, Sue. Yeah, Sue. Thank you. If I'm John, John, go ahead, John. No, Sue. If I may, in your experience, because you've had experience with your son in autism, and people who know you have seen him improve. Oh yeah. So. With the people you talk to, are there still people that are uh, naysayers? I mean, that you think it's delusional what's happened to you and your son? Do, oh, are yeah. there still people out there that just blow you off? Oh well, I mean, I get blown off on the on my my my. I have like a Facebook page for where I post things, and I get, I get people that harass. You know how it is. They, 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 there's like a whole group of propagandists that go about patrolling the internet and and targeting and trying to defame and slander and make you you know make you look like you're nuts or something like that. Right. So they're out there, but I I just I just kind of ignore them. <laughs> uh, Sue, I don't know that you heard. We have a special on tin hats. <laughs> <laughs> Sue, if I can, if I can get on that, on that question, Sue, because you're you're talking about megalase, which is made by the cancer cells and 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 viruses. Right. And as you know, it blocks the immune response by sabotaging the production of DCMAF. Right. Now, I believe, from all my research, there is no question in my mind, and the others on this program, 
that nagalase was uh, an ingredient in the vaccines that you your son received. Is there any question in your mind? I you know I'm I'm not actually familiar with it, but I wouldn't be surprised. <clears throat> okay, well that's see this is the point I think that Bradstreet and the Gonzalez and all the other uh, well, the murder doctors. Yeah, they're they're putting well, actually, the vaccine. They were, you know, like, they're 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 in Valhalla in, in a special room with a uh, with a video machine that says they're okay. Uh, you know, the uh, I would like that to be the case where they were all alive, but to have them die in vain and have children around the world not benefit from their research, and uh, and and I think something that you know, uh, I'm sorry, my research is just observational, but if if. That's why I'm on your show tonight, because I decided I'm going to be speaking up as much as I can, because I think that these people should not have died in vain, and they did a lot to help the the autistic community, and they were right about a lot of things, maybe most of it, and and I don't think that we're going to, I think that, I hope that that more people rise up, and if enough of us rise up, we're going to, it's going to all change, and and we're going to see changes in policy, and and all that sort of thing. so, So it's even easier than that, you know. This is an economic war, and uh, if you if you go to the pharmacy, don't buy anything that's name brand. If your doctor writes you a prescription, ask him to write generic. You know, I mean, you know, we can we sometimes we have to buy some of those drugs on occasion, but we can request generics, and then the big guys don't get the, that money. And and then when it comes to vaccines and all these special things, you know, the First Amendment to the Constitution gives us the right to say no. Even to the president, no, Barack, no. And it's it's pretty darn disturbing all this compulsory vaccination lawfare that's being trying to be shoved down everybody's throats on the on the national and on state by state level right now, which which happens to coincide with these doctors turning up dead. Well, and it also yeah coincides with the fact that the pharmaceutical companies are afraid that we will say no. Okay, well once well, we get the word out. It's yeah, compulsory over here, and um, if, if you, if you don't, mind. Mark, they may lock you up, you know, and they may put you on an island out in the middle of wherever, but you can still say no. Oh, look, I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I only what, was it two weeks ago I was in the crossfires of the, the two two mothers. One was pro, one was anti vaccines. My God, and you're right, Sue. And it's it's like a cult. I mean, it doesn't matter how much information you produce. It's like this person will go blue in the face. Swearing that vaccines are the responsible thing to do for their child, well, the and you're irresponsible is, if you don't. The thing is that though, they have that they're trying the, the the goal of propaganda, which is what this is, is to create a conversation and a story that everybody buys into. They're trying to create to make their story the one that dominates people's minds, which is that all vaccines are good, and anybody that questions a vaccine or even a specific vaccine is automatically bad. And they always bring up the polio vaccine, right? That's the gold <laughs> standard of vaccines. Exactly, exactly what happened. Now, that, no, what's really Always. interesting about it, if you do a little research on the polio vaccine, the polio epidemic occurred in the 1940s, and it didn't occur until two other vaccines were introduced, which I believe were diphtheria and, and whooping cough. Yeah. Okay. Now, apparently, those two vaccines, when administered, weakened the immune system. People would get polio, but they wouldn't. They would be asymptomatic. They would get no symptoms. And after the introduction of the two vaccines prior to that, that's what may have actually triggered the epidemic of polio. Now, polio also had in it through the, through my generation, which was like, like the 40s, 50s, and 60s. They, in it, uh, it had an, uh, the, the simian virus that is a cancer causer, right? SC40. 
and and then and and the CDC itself actually posted and then briefly and then retracted something on its website about that. Maybe you saw you saw that 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 ninety they estimated ninety three million people were infected in the United States with that simian virus. Now I'm going to ask you what what are you more? We talk they always talk about benefit versus risk. Are you more at risk for getting polio or getting cancer? It depends on if you live in the trees. Yeah. The, uh, and of course, you know, of course you don't want cancer. And, and anything that you put into your body that's synthetic, your body can't deal with. Now, here comes sulfur that's never allowed to stay overnight, you know, just a gondola in, in the canals of Venice. And, uh, but it takes the trash to the pooper. And it takes all the trash, since you've been putting trash in your body to the pooper until you get rid of all the trash. How do you know you've gotten rid of all the trash? You feel really, really good. Hmm. You know, and that's, in you know, that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I have to listen to these 70 and 80 year olds. They just tell and, me. And, and really, the thing with, with, the, really with, this, with the propaganda, with the way that what they're doing with the conversation is they're not allowing anybody to question any aspect of anything. They're saying that if you question anything or like any specific vaccine, even they're trying to make it so you can't even discuss, let's say, the flu vaccine, which in 2015 was only effective in preventing the flu in the United States in 23% of cases, which means it was basically a failure at the same And, and well, so, like, you know, they, you could talk about it on a vaccine-by-vaccine basis, even. What's the benefit versus risk? But they don't want that conversation to occur. There are no benefits. They've never proven the benefit. Adam, have you ever run across an a benefit of a vaccine while cruising on the way to Antares? Not in Antares. No, exactly. You know, it, um, John Panagudi uh, really used to drive this point home. Um, at one time, there were two French dudes, one named Pasteur and one of them named Beauchamp. And I don't know that they really knew each other, but they, knew, they knew each other. Yeah, they knew each other, whatever thought. And, you know, and Pasteur was a way for people to make a lot of money, and Beauchamp was a way for people to be really healthy. And so when Pasteur died, on his deathbed, with his left leg hanging over the bed, he kicks this bucket that goes down three flights of stairs. That's where the term kick the bucket came from. Because huh. you know, he cried out, Beauchamp is correct. It's not the pathogen. Huh. Not the germ. And it's not the pathogen, especially the man-made pathogens that... John David Rockefeller decided it'd be a really good thing to add to our food and our drugs and our fuel, you know, because he didn't like people. No one liked him. Why should he like people? So, you know, Sue, so, uh, if I can just uh-huh. add to that, give me a minute here. Um, talking about that SV40, <clears throat> they, they acknowledge that. What they have not acknowledged, and there's no question about it, that uh, these vaccines uh, is what's given AIDS. I mean, that we, we've proven them. Patents and blah, blah, blah. It's the mycoplasma. So there's another reason not to take vaccines. And now, as I stated earlier, uh, this nagalase is secretly in the vaccines. That's what's given all these autism because they've tested. Uh, Jeff Bradstreet, the doctor there that you, you were quoting there about the 15%, he he also, on the other, it was a bell curve. He had 15% that had no reaction. But yes. uh, he was onto this. But I just want to quote, uh, one of my heroes was Dr. William Donald Kelly. And I just caught a, something today. I've got to quote this because this is so apropos. It's not conspiracy theory. It is conspiracy fact. And there is no such thing as a safe vaccine. Do not take any vaccines. This is a standard deceptive way 
you are given in establishments biological warfare infections. We're at war with the government. This is biological warfare, and I, I hope everybody understands that. Yeah, John, let me let me interrupt just to make the point really, really clear. See, Australia is already a mandatory vaccine place, correct, wow. Mark? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Okay, and so I was talking to Donald Trump, and he has a, <laughs> he has a really good idea for a big resort for all of Australia. But in the meantime, what you have to do is kill off all the Australians, even the black ones. And so <laughs> there's where the vaccines come into play. How do you do that? We use mandatory vaccines. Boy, there's a real bad thing coming on. It's mandatory vaccine, all of you. Whoops. Let's move the, the machines in. We can turn this Australia into a beautiful place. Mm. West Africa, we can turn this place. All we've got to do is get rid of these damn black Africans, and we can turn this into a beautiful resort. And, and they're that's doing a good where, job of that, that, Patrick. That's where the 1% brains are at. <clears throat> well, when the MMR was approved in 1988, there was a study that that came that was done at the time concerning and they found in the study that African American boys were much more likely which were actually becoming autistic while the MMR vaccine was in trial and mm-hmm. that, that, and, and they covered it up and it just oh, came out no. this last year and oh, and there was a whistleblower at the CDC who they they actually he actually said that they actually he was there and witnessed the CDC people there destroying the data and so speaking of, of African Americans and trying to wipe yeah. them out, there there would seem to be, and the CDC has a very fine record of doing things like that, of, of those kinds of things over the over the decades. Well, but you know, <laughs> let's let's look at the why. If William Shatner said <laughs> on national TV that there are just too damn many people, I mean, this is a Starfleet commander. Come on, I mean, he can book you a room. He knows stuff. William Shatner has been been on the air about this sort of thing. Yeah, if <laughs> I guess I'm I'm out of the loop on that one. Well, I'm sorry. I, Are you just joking? You're just joking with. Me. I it was sent to me by email because I didn't catch it on whatever it was on either. Uh, you know, but the point is, uh, in the land of in the video land, as William Shatner, Starfleet commander. I mean, this is a this is an important statement. Now, was William Shatner an 87-year-old fancy dude? Maybe not. But, you know, the, it, it's, the, it's the spin. If we can convince everybody that, there's, that we, have, if we can't get on the tilt-a-wheel unless we get on going in the right direction. If we try to get on going in the wrong direction, it gets knocked off. So we have to be going in the right direction. And if our biology is going in the right direction, then the tilt-a-wheel will never be dangerous to us. Because we will say no. I mean, it really is that simple. You just say no. Yeah, but Patrick, I don't want to be facetious, but look at the, the, the Holocaust. How many Jews said no, and yet they still ended up dead? I mean, we can say no until we're blue in the face. Well, we're no, still going to be a victim. And, and mean, right now they're threatening to sue... I think there were some cases in the U.S. where parents were locked up and their kids were forcibly vaccinated. This has happened in a handful of times now. It's like they're trying that out. Yeah. And then you have single parents whose children won't be able, who are, are poor, and they're saying that they're, like in California, their kids won't be able to go to public school unless they're vaccinated. And then you have what you see with, with, with autism and vaccines is you'll see it's not one vaccine, but they get progressively sicker and more impaired as they get more vaccines. 
And so if these children are being forced to be vaccinated, you're going to take away any chance they have of having a normal future. And, of of course, the siblings that haven't been vaccinated, because parents wise up, often you'll hear about a parent that just didn't vaccinate the the, the next kid, and then that kid is perfectly neurotypical. Well, if they're forced to be vaccinated because it's either that or they don't go to school and they don't have an alternative, you're going to have a, a lot more damaged children, basically, and, and more severely so. Okay, and, and my argument would be if, you, if you're in that situation, then you add sulfur to your diet and you add sulfur to your child's diet. If it can protect from radiation exposure, what are the heavy metals, you know, a vaccine's going to do? They will sulfate out. You know, we haven't we haven't had any new autistic kids. All of our autistic kids were old autistic kids. Now, should we have had new autistic kids, considering how many have been vaccinated? Yeah, we probably should have, but we haven't. You know, the, uh, this is just some guy sitting in Murray, Utah, discussing what he hears from the people who call us, the mothers who call us. Uh, I mean, the mothers in India, their children aren't back because they don't like the taste of the sulfur. Hmm. So their kids take the sulfur and they look healthy, but there's no communication. This is eye contact. They come back with eye contact. That's the, that's the defining characteristic of autism is a lack of eye contact. Exactly. We're gonna, we'll be back in five minutes. Please, everyone, come back. And remember, if the needle and the damage is done, you'll hear it later. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family.
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Got a package full of wishes A time machine, a magic wand A globe made out of gold No instructions or commandments Laws of gravity or indecisions to uphold Printed on the box I see Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Sulfur Hour Plus One on American Voice Radio Network on the 13th of August, 2015. And I think that's a helicopter. I'm I'm getting under the foliage, so unless I do the Agent Orange thing, I'm okay. So, uh, you know, tonight... uh, we didn't have all the people we hope to have on to discuss uh, GCMAF. And uh, I'm going to remind everyone who's heard me talk about sulfur, say one thing. And, and everyone, please say hi. Richard, say hi. John, say hi. Mark, say hi. Adam, say hi. Sue, say hi. 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 All right, right. Because <laughs> if anybody was listening, they're still listening. Um, the, the fact that GCMAF is a macrophage enabler is what we've demanded of sulfur since day one. And hang on, hold that thought. 
button the count out? There was a door, there was a door open. No, it was, it was, it was a casting. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, the uh, where was? Yeah. So, uh, one of the things that our sulfurs had to do from day one is make scars go away. And if you do a little search on scars and macrophages, you'll find that it's really the thing that macrophages love to do. It's like police in the ghetto. They go and they find scars and they sort of make them go away. They allow them to be regenerated by healthy new cells. So if that's not an indication that maybe we've got a GCMAF uh, legal uh, available uh, solution to the problems of mankind, well, that's not like a good advertising thing. But that's what I've been listening to for the last 16 years. So... It's so, someone else get my, my little monologue's over. Patrick, if I can just give you my little simple explanation of this, because I have to think simplistically. But GCMAF is a natural occurring uh, protein in our body. We all have it. If you have a, a strengthened immune system. And I'm sorry, it all goes back to an immune system. And uh, uh, I was just going to say something about system? Yeah, and what's uh, our but immune anyway, system? But anyways, uh, the yeah. GC... Is is the what? It's the the uh, glycogen uh, uh, containment, right? And I didn't realize it. Or the globulin, the globulin component. Okay. And globulin is what? It's one of the major blood proteins. You got albumin, fibrinogen, and globulin. But the GC is the globulin. It's, it's a protein. So when it combines with vitamin D, it comes GC, it becomes GCMAF, normal. So what happens when nagalesis comes around? And you can discuss the origins of a of a tumor, but uh, but that's why I love Nagalese testing, because if you go through a Nagalese blood test, you can determine if you've got cancer eight years before it manifests itself. That's the beauty of it. And that's the equivalent of a cholesterol test for cancers. But anyways, what happens with Nagalese, um, in the cancer patient, it cripples the normal production of GCMS. Right? And then if you administer, well, you were talking, Sue, about the, uh, the, uh, the yogurt portion, but uh, I guess right. a lot of doctors really don't find that to be too strengthening. I was looking into it really seriously. But anyway, if you in, in, administer by web, injection, the website seems to indicate that it, that they think that it works. The actual people that make the, uh, the 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 blood, you know, derived version of it say that they they think it works as well. But yeah, well, they call it. There's one of them that this uh, this Italian molecular biologist Marco Ruggiero. Right. He's uh, the treat the protocol they call it a Swiss protocol, but it uh, includes a, a, a ketogenic paleo diet, probiotics, and other supplements and amino acids. It's, but, it's uh, recommended that, that it won't work well if you just eat junk food. It's better if you're on a very clean diet. Well, that goes without saying with, with any. Uh, uh, well, we have mm-hmm. we have uh, McDonald's uh, study members. <laughs> and by the way, sir, that's expensive. It's like four hundred thirty-nine dollars plus sixty-six dollars shipping. You for for, for uh, that's for the for the, the the blood version of it. Well, no, that's the oral, the uh, the the Swiss protocol. It's a GCMAF yogurt. Well, you can get it locally. I, I, the one that kid I got was this Bravo probiotic, and it's one hundred and fifty dollars for for um, a month supply uh, from a. It's from on a website. If, you, if people do a search on it, you can find it. And I'm, I can't say how this compares. It sounds like you might you know a lot more about it actually than I do. I think you hinted it before because Dr. Yomamoto, the guy that discovered all this in, in Kobe, Japan. 
you can get the uh, the GCMS there as an injection. And I believe, and I was looking into that, he also has available a yogurt, a GCMSA yogurt. So I would trust him above all other things. I mean, uh, yeah, I but he's Japanese. Now, but let's let, now let's let, let's sort of back up just a minute ago. You were saying that it's a protein, all right, and 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 that it's part of our immune system. And you know, I don't know if you ever found the article by Grimble from the uh, College of uh, Nutrition at Southampton in in Great Britain. You know, all of our immune system is based on sulfur-based amino acids. All of it, every bit of it. Well, it, gives and, credence, it gives credence to what you're saying. I well, agree. They look, I'm just trying to prevent more doctors from being killed. We can have people who are big sellers of sulfur be killed, and that would be a lot better because they're you know they're just highway robbing robbing people. Anyway. <laughs> no. But the, uh, right. the point right. is, it's a ripoff. Any time you get so many variables, uh, it, it is no longer scientific. That's what happened in vaccines. There's nothing scientific about a vaccine except they claim that sinus developed it. This propaganda <laughs> is all it is. And there's no basis for any law that says you have to buy something. Yeah. You don't have a law that you have to buy an automobile and so the vaccine if it's if, if it works and it's good, they would they wouldn't have to force people to take them. It's obvious. You know they're worthless. When they try to pass the law to make you take it, and you know it kills children, they should make everyone in Congress and everyone in the government take the vaccines they give the baby one time. All of them take those 60 vaccines, they'd all drop dead, and we'd be better off. <laughs> we'd totally be better off. <laughs> if everybody had to take their own medicine, there'd be a lot more to get straight in your mind. We've got insane people running this country. Okay, but now let's uh, let 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 on down. They're mad about money. And they Richard. run us into the ground. Richard, taken, Richard. When I was a child, our country was people would get a gold coin for a week's work. Just ordinary work. No tax. Yeah, but now let's. let's you know. It came in and immediately put fiat money out, which is debt money. It's not real money, it's debt. They brought in everything on credit. And they were making 400% a year off the poor people of this country. And they put us in the First Depression. They put us in two wars. They put us in about 200 wars in the last 100 years. Two wars a year. Well, where are the people? They're all drinking laced water, laced with poison, taking vaccines, laced with poison. What are we, a bunch of idiots? They no think, for that. They think we are. Um, the uh, again, I'm going to go back to this this minuscule little fact. You know, for 16 years I've been listening to people complain about their health, and then they stop complaining about their health. That's right. For 16 years I've been yeah, I've been listening to mothers who would love to have their child back. 29 of them have their child back. And my remedy was made by God. Exactly. When when we allow the toxins of man, the synthetics of man, to be introduced to our body, whether it changes our DNA or not, it doesn't matter because it makes us sick. But if you add sulfur back in your diet, all of those synthetics are made from stuff from nature, and they all break down and they leave. 
it's it's the, it's the it's the most magical thing about sulfur is it's never allowed to stay and it always takes out the trash. <clears throat> and your own body does it. All it yeah. needs is a tool. All you have to do is, is make it, sure you have sulfur in your diet. Can Go I ahead. ask the the the, the um you know, the, with regards to um, say GCMAF and and um, and sulfur, um, you know, when, when this is introduced to the body, what what part is it? Is it the brain that talks to the cells, or is it the cells that instantly go, okay, now this is good, I, I I want this, or is it the chemical factory administered by the brain that says, oh, no, this this is good, I I, I uh, what, what's the switch when? When um, when you're introduced both of these um, in, in, into your yeah. body, that's uh, Mark. I think that's a valuable question. And uh, in the case of uh, not being able to make macrophages, I would look at a lack of sulfur now worldwide because we use chemical fertilizers as being the ultimate cause. All the other things that have been mentioned on the show tonight are. Secondary, because there's no sulfur there to take out the trash. I have to well, agree with that. Say, let's say if you didn't have sulfur. Let's just say, for example, if you had, um, if you were big on juicing, for example, you could be doing beetroot juice or doing, and which also takes out toxins in a big way and all that sort of stuff. But it, when it comes to the introduction from that, I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting a bit technical, I suppose, but. What what is the trigger? What what part of the body says yes? I, like for example, to reverse autism or to get rid of the heavy metals and wh where's the communication? Is it a, a, like is it like the cell has a brain itself or is there? Oh, every, every cell has a brain. Stasis. Not only that, but the atom. The body seeks equilibrium. Every part of it. Yeah, atom. It's so important that people exercise. It's yeah. very important. Uh, that lymphosizing, a rebound is one of the greatest things you could ever invest in. It only costs 40 or $30, $35 And you get on that every day and exercise for uh, half a, half an hour at the most. And do that maybe three days a week, and you'll be in top condition. It's, uh, it's me uh, getting out and running like an idiot. What, what is it? Yeah. Uh, you know, a little mini trampoline. A mini, tra mini trampoline, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and a good one costs a little bit more than that, but you get an idea how it works, the, the cheap well, one. I got a good one for $40. I'm sorry, but they don't cost very much. Well, now, maybe, if you wait uh, 250 or 300 yeah, you need an expensive one. But the, uh, um, the thing that's important about that is when we sit on our butts, our lymphatics don't move. Lymph, lymphocytes is very important for lymphatic oh, circulation, yeah. and that's one of the keys to what Mark is asking. The keys to the homeostasis is circulation, a lot of oxygen, a lot of oxygen. Our ancestors had way more oxygen in the atmosphere than we have. The industrialization has destroyed the oxygen content of the air. And, of course, there's a lot of other poisons in the air now. You have to be very careful. That's why it's important to take organic sulfur every day. I'd say yeah. three teaspoons a day now is really required to get rid of just the poisons that are being poured on us. And no, it's no accident. And it's being done on purpose, just like the vaccines. Well, you know, William Shatner said there's just too damn many people. Now, and if a Starfleet, Starfleet commander can say that, gee, it must be true. 
Well, it is too damn many certain people, so it is. Yeah, they're like the 1%. The ones that are evil and jealous and hate everybody. Yeah. They want us dead. You know, we haven't mentioned Kenneth C. Frazier's name, uh, the CEO That's of... That's a mental, mental condition. It's schizophrenia is what it is. They just don't eat right. Uh, well, and but the uh, if you change your diet... And, and and you move your derriere and you breathe oxygen and you make your toes and your fingers move as well. Uh, it's, it's, if you have enough water, it's remarkable how you do. That's right. You eat fresh food every day, fresh as you can get it. Oh, yeah, well, one of the, the things that, that happens when you actually move is you stimulate a nerve in the body called the vagus nerve. It's the, lo- the lo- longest nerve in the body, which is also, if there's some theories that that's also, you're talking about things that are, that, that tends to be underdeveloped in people with autism. And um, and that when, when you stimulate that in different ways, and motion is one of those ways, it, it actually does things that, the vagus nerve plays many parts in the body. There's this, um a brilliant researcher out of, I think, out of Chicago by the name of Stephen Porges, who's done research on this, and um, it, it, it it regulates the fight-or-fight mechanism. It, it, it stimulates digestion, detoxification, blood pressure, and it, right. and and so I would say that if there, that may be one of the key pieces of. Uh, of of what gets turned on is getting that vagus nerve and trying to yeah. get it to work as as well as you can. And yeah. in autism, it, it tends to be underdeveloped. Um, there's some theories that have to do with epidurals and the pitocin drip is because the, the nervous system and some of the, the nerves mature a little bit later, especially in boys, and that when you get this drip, it actually stops the, the complete development yeah. of, of the, the neurological connections that need to take place in the young baby. Which normally takes the place yeah, of nursing. And so, anyways, I, I won't ramble yeah. on, but but that, that's, that's another just another thought right. out there. But let me. I'm, I think I can answer Mark's question uh, in in a simple way. Um, when aspirin was first introduced on the market a long time ago, uh, this is how it was taken. If you take it and swallow it, it takes thirty minutes to get to your brain. If you put the aspirin under your tongue, it only takes ten. So, is it the is it the gut telling the brain, or is it the brain telling the gut? I, I really think it's the brain telling the gut. But the receptors in the gut have to be alive for the brain to tell it anything. Hmm. Like okay, there's so much means that the, the gut is like a second brain. It's, it produces neurotransmitters, so it's it's really. It's an interesting, an interesting question. Well, you know, that's why we have Mark on the show. I mean, he's not that tall. <laughs> oh, he's not a We're made out of a sperm and an ovum. The ovum became the brain, which is the primary brain, and the sperm became the secondary brain. The stomach, right? The whole spine. Look at the spine and right up to the medulla oblongata, which is the head of the sperm, where it penetrated the ovum. That's why all the cholesterol is going to be in the egg or the brain, and the uh, and the oils, the pufas, are going to be in the sperm. That's why the Eskimos did not suffer from pufas because they ate the brain of the fish, the fish heads. They never got diseased and aged like people who eat fish oils. Hmm. 
Hmm. Wow. And you can check that out. The Eskimos lived a long time because they always ate the thyroid. They always ate the brain. That's the the fish of a brain is loaded with cholesterol. You don't hear anything about that in the public. No. So so we should not uh, consume fish oil. Is that correct? Well, if you want to live short and die young, it's a good thing. When I was a kid, really? we had fried brains with eggs for breakfast. And I mean, it's delicious. But you wouldn't oh. eat them now. Oh, well, I can't do uh, it. The, uh, re- remember uh, the marks in Australia. Um, the thing that you know, the, the thing that's interesting about the discussion is, uh, is is all the stuff that the food is made of is the same stuff that we're made of. And, and so we consume it, you know, therefore we're supposed to thank the Great Spirit for consuming the food, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just recycling all of the 24 elements of life over and over and over and over and over again, no matter what your, you know, beginning story is, if you're Polynesian or if you're a Christian or you're Arab or a Jew, it's over and over and over and over again. And we can't do that with synthetics in our system. That's right. Toxicity. Yeah, hey, Patrick, if if I may, Richard, I got a question because you just said now you've been around the planet a few years, but you used to eat or consume for breakfast the the, the brains, and you and you made a comment. You said can't do that now. Were you referring to the uh, mad cow problems with the Clitzfeld Jakob? Absolutely, absolutely. The prions, the prions are, are polluted. Uh, they're everywhere. They've been in the wild deer. Uh, you, you really any kind of pork, you have to realize that there's probably prions in it because they feed them uh, the awful. In other words, the uh, excrement uh, from chickens and that type of thing. And uh, prions are everywhere now. You really have to be very careful on uh, especially since radiation. Anything neurological, eating anything in the neurological system. What a what a prion? Radiation induced. Organisms. That's why we have prion disease in California now from Fukushima and why they had it in England where 150 people died from Chernobyl caused uh, prion disease. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Didn't, didn't uh, realize the connection with, uh, with radiation. And uh, what, what about in California now? Because you're getting a lot of the Fukushima radiation. We have mad cow disease here now. It's in the news. No. That's right. I'm not aware of that. Oh, and you know, if I yeah. if I may, if we can just go back to uh, Genesis in kindergarten, uh, Doctor Gadjusak, recent uh, this is back in the fifties, and a recent graduate of Harvard Medical School, somehow he connects with the government and he goes to New Guinea, where he studied the Foray Indian tribe, who had a habit for centuries of eating the deceased's brains, and there was a doctor. Uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Shuru, uh, his name was. He was the a general and a doctor in the Japanese army, and they had POWs, English and American POWs. They were experimenting with. They experimented with this, and it's called Kuru, K-U-R-U, Kuru. That, that was a cover-up. I'm sorry. That, oh, that was a cover-up story. It was a CIA agent who was not a virologist, like they said. He was a pediatrician, and he was sent there by the CIA. After the test in the uh, in uh, where was it where they did the Hiro- uh, not Hiroshima uh, bikini or Bimini or wherever. Yeah, oh. 
Yeah, all I that radiation that. caused the disease, and, and, and he was not a virologist. You'll read in the paper when I first came across it, it was called laughing disease, and they said it was a virologist. He was not. He was a pediatrician. Yeah, CIA. Here we go. And you know that Dr. Ishishiro, who was the Japanese general slash biochemist or whatever doctor, he was given a death sentence, you know, just like at uh, Nuremberg, and he they gave him a question. Well, you can either hang or you can come and work for us. Well, <laughs> just like Operation Paperclip with the Germans, he came to work for us. And guess where he ended up? At, uh, at the laboratory at... Uh, uh, where was it? The the biological laboratory in uh, Plum Island. And what do we get out of Plum Island, boys and girls? Lyme, Lyme disease. disease. Thank you very much. <laughs> so is there a connection here? Is this conspiratorial? You're damn right it is. Well, the okay, wow. but let's you know. Let, let me, after you scared everybody, John, you know, remind them that if they have sulfur in their diet in the morning and sulfur in their diet in the evening then all these nasty things will go to the toilets. That's well, good, Patrick. because they moved uh, Plum Island to Indiana now. Oh, really? Right. Billion-dollar facility. But, Patrick, if I can add it, you are absolutely correct as far as sulfur. But let's define sulfur. It's the oxygen transport mineral. It doesn't... It, all right, where do you get the oxygen from? And let's go back to Otto Warburg. 35% reduction of oxygen on the cellular level, you're going to get cancer. That's why I love ozone. And when I had Lyme disease, which I had nine cofactors, including Babesia, uh, Baratola, and mycoplasma that's given us AIDS, that's proven. I had it all. What cured me? Ozone. It's curing cancer. And and uh, look at Reagan. Reagan had, you know, Jimmy Carter's got cancer now. Is he going to go over to Germany quietly? No, but Reagan did. And he went over to Hans Nieper. Hans Nieper said he was a nice guy. But uh, he took ozone therapy there and beat his cancer. So, what, so how, do they impl- the how, how do they implement ozone therapy? Is it uh, like something you inhale? Is it in, you, is it- you can do it several ways. Uh, the best way is called autohemotherapy. They, they take blood, they put it into your vein, ah. and, uh, and they pull it out, put it in a bottle, put it up on a stand, and they pump uh, ozone into it. Wow. And it goes re- and uh, or the other way is insufflation. You can uh, get uh, you can have ozone pumped into your body cavities, and uh, very effective. Yeah, very effective. Or like Richard, Richard uh, and I are both on the same page with with this uh, mini trampoline because uh, that's called uh, especially with oxygen there. It's called EWOT, exercise while in oxygen therapy. You're you're breathing 10 liters of oxygen while you're on the trampoline. And you just well, and you drink, uh, you fix your uh, hydrogen peroxide water and drink a glass of that while you're using the trampoline, and that will really give you a boost. Well, if, Richard, so, if I, I'm sorry, about, but I've got I to gotta, I gotta put a caveat out there. Another time, you guys. Oh, here comes the break. We'll see you in five. Gone, gone, the 
have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. going up, homes being foreclosed, unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. 
American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. tell people what your email address is in case they've been blessed with an autistic child. Uh, it's info at autismcoach.com. So I-N-F-O at the word autism and then the word coach, like a sports coach.com. They can reach me. That, that That's the best way to reach me, and I'm always happy to help I'm, and talk to parents of children on the spectrum. Um, and if you're, if you're a pro... And, and the, the, and, what, like you were, like, like your, your 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 guest from Australia was saying, sometimes people it takes them a while to come around to the to to the, to the concept of changing their ways and thinking outside the box and, and, and diverging from what everybody else is doing at least how they as they perceive it. But when they start doing that and they start looking at these things, this is when the children improve. And so and, and they look at at the nutrition is so important. Diet. And getting away from junk food, and they they, they also very um, they, there's certain foods that they should stay away from those that are high in, in gluten and casein. And if you can get the parents to, to the more that the the, the diet is is huge, it's um, is important. And of course, sulfur helps a lot of the children, as you said, on the spectrum. And so, I, I, I there, there's a lot that can be done, and, and but it, sometimes it just takes parents a little while to get there. Hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> and the yeah, more they do, and the yeah. more that they do that, and the more the diet is. I can tell you exactly how high functioning the kid is simply by their diet. And if the diet is is junk food, and, and the number, you know what the number one favorite food of severely autistic children is, and I'm, yeah. this is pretty consistent. It is chicken yeah. McNuggets in the United States. Oh, All right. God. Isn't that well, something? Uh, to, and, and, I, I, and so I, I, I often ask, I say, does your, you know, like they say, I have a child who's highly, who's nonverbal and severely impaired, and more often than not, that's one of the foods they crave. Chicken right. McNuggets. Chicken one McNuggets. Of the ones they'll eat. Yeah, yeah. One of the ones. There's chicken skin. There's no meat in it. It's all compressed chicken skin. Well, what you, what you don't like chicken skin? 
You don't. No, I mean, come it's, on. It's chick, chicken, chicken fat skin, and and then a whole bunch of, whole bunch of. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't even name the chemicals they put in it. Yeah. Well, they they say that. At least I've heard this, and I don't know if you, you can verify this, but I have heard that the the McDonald's French fries, another favorite food of autistic children, that when they, they raise, they have special potatoes that they raise through them in the United States, and that the farmers that raise them have to wear a hazmat suit. And then when, and then when they actually put the potatoes out, to, they, they actually put them, to gather them up together, they have to let them sit for several months before they're safe to, uh, a quote-unquote, safe to touch. Yeah, exactly. That, well, you know, the McDonald's doesn't care about your kids. No, they certainly don't. No, they don't. And, you know, but the important thing is, do we care about our kids? And I think your comment is correct. Those mothers who contacted us care. The mothers who haven't contacted us put their kids in a home. You know, the, the mothers who haven't contacted us have a social life. and They don't have time to have a retarded child, retarded child. Well, the standard you know, line that when, you're, when your child's diagnosed in, in, with, with autism, what, you, the, a standard, what standardly happens is the pediatrician will say, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong. Then you get the diagnosis and they say, there's nothing I can do, goodbye, find somebody else to help your kid. And the person that diagnoses them, the psychologist usually says, there's nothing you can do. Your kid's just going to go into a contained classroom and then he'll just go through the system. And, and it's sort of like, that, that's, this is a standard story that many people, parents on the spectrum are told, and it's, a, it's all, it's not true. I mean, it, you, maybe for some children they, they don't, they don't, can't respond, but they, there's a whole bunch of them that, that do really well if you ignore that advice, and there's so many things you can do in terms of nutrition and, and dietary support and um, other therapies as well yeah. like, like be, you know, that, that can really turn kids around. If you can, if you can get mothers to ingest sulfur at the same time that their child is ingesting sulfur, maybe even the siblings, we don't worry about dads because they take a long time to figure out. But I, I, I think you'll see a big turnaround because that's the turnaround we've seen, and it doesn't take ages. It doesn't, you know, eight months is the longest it's taken for us to have some kids say, uh, "Hey, mom, I love you." You know, how would you like a mother wants to hear that? I love you, mommy. Oh, I mean, they're, they, they're these, some of these parents would give anything just to hear their children just, just if you say, just say their, just say mom or dad. I mean, you have these nonverbal kids. Yeah, but I've seen time after time when they get them on, on a good diet and they get the, the, the supplements that work for it, every child is unique metabolically. And I cannot say that there's a one size fit or all. Maybe the sulfur works for the majority of them, but you have to you have to take it on a case by case basis, is what I found at least. Okay, and and I, so when you I, when you get that protocol together, you can get kids talking and 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 just coming along, you know, so much better. They remember uh, who they are. Pardon? They remember who they are. See, our, our best kids are 70 and 80 years old who remember who they are. They're not going to the home. They're, you know, they're not going to the Alzheimer's home anymore because they remember who they are. It's exactly the same thing with the kids. The kids remember who they are. They've been hearing all this stuff all the time. They just can't communicate. Once they can communicate, watch out. You know, they're, they're here to stay. Well, if the sulfur is helping detox, they're extremely toxic, and the sulfur can help with detoxification big yeah. time. Yeah, well, I mean, but the, but the, uh, you know, the thing that's interesting about this, we wanted to, we wanted to help those people who are listening remember that Jeff Bradstreet and and all of the other healthcare practitioners who are no longer breathing, including yeah. Gonzalez, 
were killed out of fear. They were killed out yeah. for greed. They were killed so they couldn't testify at, at, at congressional levels against uh, compulsory vaccinations, and they, they right there, there's so much they were killed because they did because GCMAF it, it was not, was something that might be competing with with anti there's this, this war on cancer so-called has is 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 cost the taxpayers billions of dollars and if they cure it there's going to be a lot of people out of work. Well, and the uh, there's going to be a lot of people out of work anyway because sulfur works. And, you know, and what we'll do is we'll take all of these dedicated scientists and turn them into farmers because the, the big ag business is going to fail. I mean, if you go out and buy a box of cereal from anybody, you're an idiot. Uh-huh. Agreed. Well, wait a minute. They're not listening to Dr. Richard Stump buy nothing out of a box. Nothing out of a box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the, uh, they think they have us cornered. No, as long as people still grow real food in the dirt... And as long as we eat that food from the dirt and drink the water from the sky and we see the sunlight, then, you know, when, when Agenda 21 becomes uh, just another red blackjack, then we won't have these people to worry about anymore. You know, the, the Koch brothers or Koch brothers or whatever they want to call themselves, they're not bad guys. They're just going to go broke. You know, the pharmaceutical companies, they're just going to go broke. I'm sorry, they're going to go broke. And if you want to invest in those companies, go right ahead, but you'll go broke. There's one more doctor, Dr. Andrew Molden, who isn't as well known, but he's from Canada. And he was the first doctor to be what appears to have been murdered in this slew of murders, and that was yeah. last year. And he was a brilliant researcher. Who two, came days up after, yeah, two days after he and I spoke, he was murdered. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he and, was about to release a bunch of uh, research oh, and, that know, was going to show that vaccines don't work just at yeah. the time that he, right before, he was Those, basically you know, assassinated right before that he was able to do that. Right. He wanted to open up a practice in Florida, of all places. Well, uh, there were four of them were murdered, and that also coincidentally is where the congresswoman who introduced yeah, legislation yeah. to for compulsory vaccination resides. And on her staff is somebody, uh, one of her senior advisors, quote unquote, is is basically somebody who who worked previously as a sale, like a senior sales rep for a big pharmaceutical corporation. Well, so there's everyone, a lot of interesting things there. A, a lot of you're, you're including Je, including Jeb Bush. Yeah, you're not, yeah, not oh, going to go buy anything. Thing. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to buy anything that's made by Jeb Bush. You're not going to buy anything that's made. By you're not going to buy anything that's made by Pfizer. You're not going to buy anything that's made by uh, GlaxoSmithKline. You're just not going to buy any of that stuff. You're not going to buy anything in a box. I mean, and this is—I mean, this is going to be a horrible debacle. This—this this is an economic failure to to make the, the 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 Medes wonder why they had to divert the river. You know, this—they it, it, are running on such a short lease. If we don't buy their glyphosate, Monsanto will fail. Well, maybe. But Patrick, well, don't could, worry. Uh, they've got Agent Orange coming right up the, the pike. Is the next thing that because the, because the Roundup isn't working, they've now created super weeds. So now they want to spray basically Agent Orange, and they're creating like uh, like genetically modified crops that can tolerate that. And that's going to be even worse. Well, I know, but we're not. You know, the uh, the stuff that's bought in the stores is what's where they get their profit, not the stuff they sell to the cities and municipalities. The real dangerous stuff. But the stuff that we don't buy in the stores, 
I mean, if the black ninja guy drops down and cuts your hands off because you're reaching for a black phosphate, it could be dangerous. Hmm. But it has to be dangerous if we understand what it is. This is a this is a toxin to end all life on Earth. Yeah. That's what black phosphate is. And the uh, uh, pesticide uh, publication, uh, what pesticide review? That's what they said. That's it's, what they said. It's very strongly impl- implicated also in in being one of the causal factors that were contributing to autism, the glyphosate. Well, and, and Stephanie Sanif has proved that. But remember, the phosphorus sulfates out, and the chloride sulfates out. That's that's you know that's what um, we learned that early on in the study from uh, Agent Orange guys from Vietnam. How many many, uh, affected uh, Vietnam veterans have you had helped by sulfur, Patrick? You've got a number of them now, haven't you? Yeah, you mean just just Agent Orange or what? Yeah, they're being supposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam. Agent Orange was uh, eight U.S. veterans and eight Vietnamese veterans. Oh, good. From both sides. oxygen? Well, you know, hey... Um, if NASA's looking for oxygen in space, then we ought to be looking for oxygen in, in everywhere we go on Earth. We ought to breathe it in. We ought to drink it in. We ought to, you know, exhale carbon dioxide. Uh, it, you know, and then that feeds the plants, and the plants make more oxygen. It's symbiosis. Yeah. And, and what if we, Richard, yeah, if what we Richard let, had alluded, I'm sorry, I, what Richard had alluded to earlier about our lifestyle today because of industrialization, there's less oxygen in the air. And if I can take just 20 seconds, and and Richard, I have never disagreed. I've always agreed with you, but you started saying about drinking hydrogen peroxide, and this is a no-no because it does develop free radicals. I, I didn't get to it before the break, but I had to put this in because Charlie Farr was a Nobel uh, nominee, uh, doctor since died, but he proved that uh, you don't drink it. You can take it intravenously. It's fine, but uh, as far as drinking it, and a, and a friend of mine used to do microscopy, live blood cell analysis, and they always knew if the person they were testing the blood had been drinking peroxide because they could see it in the blood. It just it, it really does severe damage. Well, I go for Ewok. Just breathe. You don't have. You don't want to go crazy with it. No, even a little bit, Richard. Seriously, I mean, I studied that, and uh, from my my from my point of view, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a common antibiotic, and it has, and it kills everything. What about if, like, you know, say, for example, someone had, um, um, let's talk about one of like the insidious parasites, like um, like herpes or something. Would you take hydrogen peroxide? Would that kill it? No. No. Herpes is a virus. You can't kill a virus. Uh, well, okay. Patrick, the parasites are different. You know, and the reason I say you can't kill a virus is when they opened up King Tut's tomb, they found 400 viruses in the damn thing. But Patrick, let's back up here. We have been talking all the day, all night, and last week about GCMAF and nagalase. What is nagalase? If tumor cells release an enzyme as nagalase, and so right. do viruses. So I'm, well, what I'm thinking, and, and, but you can't, you know. You can make a, uh, you can get a cancer cell to go back to, you know, uh, being a real normal guy and using oxygen. Uh, but as far as a virus is concerned, you're created a virus that's there to take out the, the dead cells. 
you know, well, that's part of the program. Okay, well, let's get rid of these dead cells so we can have new cells that aren't all that healthy. But it's still, you know, no one's ever killed a virus. I'm sorry, no one's ever killed a virus. I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat, no one's ever killed a virus. The good news is that sulfur arrived billions of years before viruses did with Nagalase. Aha! Thank you, Adam. I knew that I was on the right track. Billions of years. Nagalase never showed up till the viruses came. So I would think that sulfur would be primary, and it's an atomic therapy. You know, uh, Earthlings don't know about the work of Sir Chandra Bose, who invented the telephone, not Marconi or Tesla. And he he knew that uh, basically metals have consciousness. So sulfur has a consciousness just like a cell. It's the Uh primary consciousness. And in his book about, uh, what is it called, living and non-living items, it's right on the Internet. Anybody can read all about it. Interesting. Well, so if you've got, if so someone's got a virus. Was there a Yeah. And, and, and then, okay, so when you, when you, okay, so you then got to, you got to differentiate between, um, uh, what is a parasite, bacteria, and or a virus? And for example, you're saying that the introduction of sulfur is going to oxygenate, and it's going to clear out all the heavy metals. It's going to obviously up the red blood count yeah. cell, the vi- all that the sort of stuff. Vi- yeah, the, but what's it going to do to a virus? Yeah. You're saying nothing the at all. Vi- yeah, the virus is from Snowy River. Okay, and a parasite. A parasite is from from the other uh, from Perth. And the parasite is a living thing, and it's just—it's just too damn lazy. It's like doesn't—you know—the dole doesn't work, so it's living off of your cellular metabolism. What did Samuel Hahnemann do for viruses? He made them our friends, and they ate the toxins until the toxins were gone, and then they left naturally. That includes really? uh, tapeworms. That's what he did. He didn't kill them at all. He made yep. it. He made them eat the poisons. Anyone That's- can go and read Hahnemann's books on the internet too. What does that prove, Adam? Samuel Hahnemann? Toxins create the problem. Yes, yes, no, maybe. No, the toxins are caused (laughs) by, you. if you get the viruses to eat the toxins, there's no problem. So there was, Hahnemann had no such thing as a toxicity cleanse. No such thing. Anybody who, most people don't understand that about Homeopathy. They go on and on about how it doesn't work and all of that kind of thing. It does work. And by the way, uh, homeopathy, one example of it is you can use – you don't need minute things. You can use big things. If I get burned and I put ice on my hand, I'm going to have that problem for about a month after. If I get burned, if I stick my hand in boiling water for just one to two seconds and pull it out, the burn's gone the next day. That's homeopathy. And the, and the lobster's still alive. And every cook knows that, by the way. But uh, most other people who get burned don't, and they have severe problems with burns. And, and the, uh, uh, in the history of sulfur, or MMS, or MSM, excuse me, uh, there was a fellow by the name of Bill Rich, and he got burned in a car fire in 1971 in, in Bountiful, Utah. So from his umbilicus up to his face and the top of his head, it was just burned off because he couldn't get the damn seatbelt off. And a vet said, well, you know, you ought to try some MSM. So he made creams out of it. And his sons still sell the creams. 
And I got him on the phone with it. I said, you know, if you just take about oh, 10, 10 grams twice a day, you can make those scars go away. So when he died, it was an open casket. He had no scars. Sulfur's, you know, the macrophages make the scars go away. Makes your cancer go away, too. And well, you know, it seems to be that, you know, or they could be lying. These people could be dead and they've got a recording on their on their machine. Don't think so. Henry, you know, Henry Rich has got a good YouTube um, video, which I send to everybody who, who I um, you know, recommend sulfur to. So um, a lot of people get a lot out of that. Now, which, which one are you talking about? Henry Rich. Okay. Oh, Rich, YouTube? Yeah. He, he used to have he, good sulfur. Yeah, he, he, he has a good uh, YouTube Bill uh, video. Rich. Rich. Sorry? Rich, yeah, Bill Bill Rich MSM. Uh, and like I said, his kids still make the cream, and Z Medical still has their in their crash carts. You put that on a burn, and it works pretty good. Um, it's, you know, it's we learn from each other's experiences. You know, we've got about six minutes before we come to the end of the show. I don't know anything. But because of the conversations I've had over the last 16 years, I've learned some stuff. But, you know, I'm... So, I've got to look more into this, this virus thing. I mean, I, so, I'm a bit perplexed there. So, you just, you just can't kill a virus. No, it has no DNA. How do you kill something with no DNA? Well, Some say they were never alive in the first place. Where there's a beginning, there's got to be an end. I'm thinking, hold on, it's got to start somewhere. So what started it? So there's got to be some sort of... That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. The, our our well, original our viral load was supposed to take away the dead stuff when we got injured or cut or something of that sort. It's the garbage man. Okay, well, the garbage men went on strike when, you know, when they took the sulfur away, and so now they're just bad guys. When you put the sulfur back in, the oxygen makes the viruses go quiet unless there's something they can do. If you can make them work for you, that's okay. So the Spanish flu, was that a virus or a bacteria or a it's, parasite it's, or what? It's a virus. It's a influenza. virus. Influenza. Yeah, influenza. Okay, so, so it got knocked on the head. It, no, it knocked a lot. It killed 80, 80 million, I think. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but then what happened to it? Where did it go? Yeah, a lot of people blame aspirin for that. I don't know. I wasn't around, and I, I, we've asked Richard, and he wasn't around either. It's still around. We just have an immunity to it. Yeah. Well, okay, so, we our, it, so our immune system. Immune to it. A natural. Okay, so, uh, they okay, used so to if call we have, immunity we, divinity. I thought that was a sweet candy. <laughs> Patrick, you alluded earlier to Pasteur and Beauchamp. And yes. what they were talking and now uh, Mark just asked where the beginning is. And if you look at pleomorphism, which begins as uh, one thing and morphs into another thing, I believe as it, go as it goes, it goes from bacteria to a virus, then to a parasite or fungus. It's ending up as a fungus. And if you can backtrack that with through diet, or through ozonation or, or sulfur or whatever. I mean, it's possible. I I, see, and I think that might answer uh, Mark's question of the origin yeah, of it. Thanks, thanks John. I, I think there's a there's got to be a more I don't know. There's a, there's a better answer I think out there. Uh, that, that, that's my gut feeling anyway. 
Well, actually, what you do is you go and you you do the search on uh, the cellular biology of a virus. Uh And this is old stuff. This is, you know, like stick figures and all that stuff. The nature of a virus is it will tear into the cell that is not working correctly, take its DNA, and go and replicate and go around looking for cells suffering the same malady and take their DNA. So it has a substituted DNA of which can be treated. It's uh, it's, it's like a a street person didn't have a dime. He gave him a dime. Now he's got a dime. (laughs) You can take the dime off him. (laughs) I think think all the emphasis on the GCMF was on cancer and autism. But remember, the virus expels this... this, uh, Nagalase, and uh, so I think there's a connection here. If we can well, decrease amazing. the nagalase on, on the viruses, in, in mm-hmm. some of the other, in some of them, I mean, there are some people who are selling GCMF out out there, and they say they have not found it effective on viral conditions. Okay, I, I'm not going to that. Maybe there wasn't enough sulfur there to get the oxygen into the system to address the viral conditions. You know, uh, uh, Patrick Timpany is suffering from a bugger. He has a virus. He's got the flu. Well, when you have the flu, you slam so much sulfur that you think it's going to be coming out the back end and spraying all over the neighborhood. Uh, because it's the only enemy of a virus that's active is oxygen. Okay. Only so you, Okay, so you're saying you, can't, so you don't necessarily cure it, but you can make it dormant. Yeah, I mean, you, know, uh, you can cure certain things, but in the case of, of a viral infection, you're sick. You know, and you would like to be able to feel better, and it means you've got to, you know, have to have this, this infection, go quiet, finish his course, or do something and stop bothering you. Mm. Mm. You know, and in the past, you know, years and years ago, we'd lay on a, on a bed and drink wine and cover ourselves with a bear skin, so we'd work up a fever, you know, to drive everything right. Uh, but now we, we don't like fevers. You know, we, we get past and then we go to the end of the show, and Sue, thank you. Forgive me for giving you a chance to talk. You know, we are just boys. And Richard and John and Mark and Adam, thank you so much. Thank you. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Blue sky, thank you. Thanks a lot. See ya. Green avocado. Less blue skies because of the uh, entrails. Yes. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. 
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $140. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
Good evening, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. And it is the 13th of August. Don't worry, it's Thursday, not Friday, so everybody's uh, having good luck, right? Sure. Anyway, It's about 9 minutes after 8 p.m. If that's true where you're at and all the other things are true, well, we are live. And being live, that means you can participate in the show if you'd like to. You can call in, 800-932-1980, 800-932-1980. This is a toll-free number. That means unless... Unless you have a cell phone, doesn't cost you anything. But on your cell phone, of course, you know, it's going to cost you your minutes because, hey, I get to pay, you get to pay, everybody gets to pay when you got a cell phone. Uh, anyway, so, there you have it. You can also go to the website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. That is where you will find everything you need to know about this network. Okay? And uh, you can also go to the chat room. You'll see the, uh, what do you call it? Link. All right? And uh, you can can participate in the show that way because I'm uh, checking out in there. Uh... And I've been picking up, picking on the uh, chatters. I can't now, though. See, I can only pick them. I'll pick on them on the air, you know. <laughs> but uh, I go in there and I read during the uh, show while I'm talking because I can talk and read. <clears throat> I can't type and read though. You'll notice when I try. Yeah, it's dead air. Uh, that's not usually something you go for, you know, when you're doing a radio show. Is dead air. So I try not to do that. You can also contact me through Instant Messenger. The screen name is AVRN Talk. That comes straight to me. Well, goes through the NSA and then comes straight to me, you know. But, hey, kind of like your tax returns that you file over the uh, Internet. Or, you know, the business, uh, you know, these business things you use. Quicken and stuff like that. Yeah, that you think, okay, I'm going to send this securely to my bookkeeper. Not so much. No, 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 no. I just found out today that since 1999, uh, it has a back door. Yeah, specifically built into it so the government can, uh, you know, get a copy of your bookkeeping 
you know, what you send to your bookkeeper through Quicken, you know, and then they tell you, okay, here's how we're going to do your taxes. Yeah, isn't that nice? Wow. I guess no more uh, fudging on your taxes if you do it through Quicken and send it over the Internet. Oh, wait a minute. No, never mind. If you do it on Quicken and have it on a computer that is connected to the Internet, you don't have to send it anywhere. Because don't worry, Microsoft's opened up enough windows for them to get into your computer so they can check out your Quicken that has a back door open for them already. You can bet this is part of the Patriot Act. Hey, if you're going to make software for this, it's got to be open to us. You know, so we can check the terrorists, you know, like all of you out there, trying to run a small business. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's 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 get this out of the way, shall we? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton again. Well, now she's finally complied with the law. Well, other than destruction of evidence, uh that's not really complying with the law. She finally gave her server, one of her servers, up. But guess what? It has been professionally cleaned. What that means, what that really means is, the only way you can, you know, it, you delete stuff from your drives, it can be, you know, it can easily be. They've got software online that you can get. You know, if you accidentally delete things, you know, you go, oh, delete this, and uh, somehow, you you know, it goes in your trash bin, and maybe you got your trash bin to delete when you close, and you go, oh, my gosh, I didn't want to do that. Well, you can recover that. Deleting stuff off your hard drive doesn't mean it's gone, okay? Cleaning a hard drive is deleting something, and then just writing over it. And what these programs do is they just write zeros and ones. You know, it's just they just write over it. Then they erase it. Then they write over it again. Then they write over it again and again and again and again. I think the NSA's standard is 12. Yeah, the NSA figures a, a drive is clean after 12. You can buy software out there that will do it like 40 times to where, you know, Pretty much, yeah, you're not recovering this. And that's what Hillary Clinton did. Had it professionally cleaned. You know, they need to find that person. They really do. They need to find the one that professionally cleaned it. Because whoever professionally cleaned it is actually the one if I was the DOJ, I'd find that person, and I'd take him, and I'd arrest him, and I'd say, you know what? You're going to prison for about 190 years. Oh, yeah, because, see, you have destroyed evidence. And let's see, we're charging, oh, I don't know, 100 different charges, and uh, you've destroyed evidence in every one of them. Oh, yeah, you're going to do at least 190 years in prison. Although, you know, we could make a deal. Oh, and you're going to go to a prison where 
the bad men go. The bad, ugly men that don't work for the company stores. See, they don't work at the prison industrial, let's make some money store. No, 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 no. See, because these are bad men. They don't get along. They cause for a hostile work environment if we let them in there. That's who you're going to spend time with. Or you could tell us, you could testify that Hillary told you to do this. Let's see if that happens. I have real doubts that the DOJ is serious about prosecuting Hillary Clinton, even though they've got her hard drives. Even though they got the goods on her. Now, you know, my Monday night co-host has a different idea. He thinks that the Obama administration is now going hammered down on Hillary because they don't like her much. And, you know, there's some evidence to back that up. I mean, I'm not saying that's ridiculous or anything of the sort, because there is evidence to also uh, demonstrate that Obama is, and mostly Valerie Jarrett, okay? Okay? Understand that. Valerie Jarrett runs Obama. Kind of like Cheney ran Bush. Yeah, Jarrett runs Obama. And uh, there's some uh, bad blood in the White House and between Hillary. Okay? You think, well, they made her Secretary of State. Well, it was part of a deal. Plus, here's the thing. What's that old saying... You keep your friends close, and you keep your enemies even closer. Well, you don't get much closer than the State Department. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is classic, man. So, you know, there is evidence that you can point to to say, well, Obama may be saying, uh, you know what, you ain't never... Setting foot in this White House. No, 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 no. I'll take you down. I'll, I'll, I'll sling you so full of mud that all the lipstick on a pig won't, it won't help you, lady. You're not getting in the White House. You ain't doing it. You should have learned that the first time. Like when Obama came out of nowhere. Who is this guy? He's got no experience. Been a senator for a, a whole two years. Hey, guess what? Congressmen and senators don't generally get elected president anyway. Do you know why? Because they don't make decisions. Okay? They come to consensus. They're deal makers. That's what the Congress and the Senate, well, the House of Representatives and the Senate do. They make deals. They make deals. They don't make decisions. Governors make decisions. CEOs make decisions. Congress, they, uh, how, you know, representatives and senators do not make decisions. That's why senators and, and uh, representatives don't generally get elected president. But, hey, here's somebody who was a senator for two whole years. Wow. And he gets to be president? He beats Hillary Clinton? <laughs> really? How'd that happen? Especially with all the questions about... Now, did Hillary come out and really hammer about the birth? No, she didn't. 
She caved. She made a deal. Somebody somewhere told her, this isn't your turn. We got a different plan. Sorry, son. You're not playing today. Go sit down on the bench. Yeah. That, that's exactly what happened. Why? How? Who's the one that told Hillary Clinton? This is the Clintons, okay? They are warehouses full of dead bodies. Who's the one that told her, oh, guess what? You're not getting back in the White House. Not this time. Tell you what we'll do, though. You can be Secretary of State. Wow. So, you know, there is evidence that it could go that way. Obama, you know, he's got Loretta Lynch, who I'm sure is a bud of Valerie Jarrett. For all I know, they're lesbians. But, hey, I don't know that. I don't want to know that, okay? But could be. Could be if Hillary doesn't come out one of these days real soon and say, you know, I've decided that now that Chelsea has a spawn, I need to spend more time with my family. So I'm not I'm going to drop out of the Democratic race. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Cuz that's how it'll go. They'll never put Hillary Clinton in jail unless she won't unless she won't do that. And I don't know. You know, she took the deal the first time. She took the Secretary of State rather than the presidency. Uh, she's been in this long enough to know when it's time to, you know, you know, you got to know when to fold them. Yeah, well, it, it, it might be getting towards that time to fold them. But if she won't fold them, well, you know, Hillary's also getting up there in the uh, years where she could slip and fall and break a hip. And you know what happens then? Oh, yeah, it's off to the hospital for some complications and a tragic tragic news flash that well, Hillary Clinton has died from complications in the hospital due to her accident. You know, I mean, hey, it could happen. Or they could whitewash the whole thing. And they just say, well, yeah, we checked everything and it's no no wrongdoing here, you know, just kind of like the police's internal investigation of the cop shooting the 15-year-old running away unarmed. Yeah, well, no wrongdoing here. The shooting was uh, totally justified because, well, after all, we asked the cop and he said, "Why, yes, I was uh I was scared." Oh, well, there you go. It's all good. Never mind. So we'll see, huh? We'll see what goes on with this. But that's the thing. She gives a whole wiped, a wiped hard drive. I mean, really, you know. Okay, imagine yourself. So the cops come and they nicely ask you, uh, we're doing a criminal investigation on you, and we would like your hard drive. And you say, well, uh, you know what? I don't want to give it to you. Beat it. Oh, uh, so yeah, they they go away, right? 
Right. And then they keep saying, no, really, really, we're doing an investigation. We really want that hard drive. So eventually, after a year or so, you decide, okay, here you go. And they get it. And it's been professionally cleaned. Uh, What do you think is going to happen to you? Well, first off, that would never happen to you in the first place because they'll just kick in your door, handcuff everybody, put guns to your head, and take every piece of electronic device in your whole house. That's how they treat you. Yeah, but not Hillary. Are you seeing the whole problem here with titles of nobility? We are no longer, they are no longer practicing the idea of equal protection under the law. Now, in my earlier show today, I had pulled up the Oregon Constitution in front of me here, and I read it to you. And it was very clear, okay, that everyone is to be treated equally under the law, okay? Do you see that happening where you live I don't see it where I live. I don't see it in Oregon. I don't see it anywhere. I see nothing but special interest groups, protected classes, titles of nobility, killers running around getting away with it because they're uh, wearing the gang colors of the government. I mean, come on. Equal protection under the law. How hard is that? Everybody's got the same deal. Look, here's the law. It applies to everybody. You break it, everybody gets the same deal. Man, we are so far away from that. You know, and really, it's time for people to start prosecuting this. And look, I'm not saying go out and look for trouble. Because you don't have to. Trouble will find you. And when it does, you know, fight smart. That's the whole thing. Fight smart. For instance, okay, you get a ticket, you get something. It's a claim. That's a claim against you. Right? They're making a claim. They're saying, hey, you did something and now you owe us. And uh, like the credit card companies, they say, well, uh, you're overdue on this and this is a debt. And, uh, you know, if you don't think it's a debt, send us in something and say you dispute the debt within 30 days. Okay? Yeah, well, same thing with a ticket. It's a claim. It's all a claim. They're making a claim. I say you did this, which means you owe us that. And? Well, here's where you can send your check. Or check, you know, take door number two. And uh, this is when you'll have to show up at court. Actually, you send it in and say, I'm taking door number two, and then they say, okay, here's when you have to show up for court. Well, you know what? Do that, but also counterclaim. Yeah, that's right, counterclaim. And in the counterclaim is like, hey, wait a minute here. And you can come up with a lot of things to question uh, the, the authority, the jurisdiction, the venue, all of that stuff. they got to answer all of it. And a counterclaim, you get to go first. I'm telling you, 
They ain't going to want to deal with that. They're going to say, hey, well, we'll drop this. Oh, but you see, you can drop that. You can dismiss it. You can do what you want. But my counterclaim is still there because you still did what you did. Maybe I don't want to drop it. Maybe I want to pursue this. Yeah, maybe I got some more questions. See, they're never going to want to see you again. I guarantee it. And yeah, some of you out there going, yeah, the next thing you know, you're going to be uh, pushing up daisies or something like that, right? No, well, maybe. But we're all going to be pushing up daisies sooner or later. I know, I know. Yeah, I'd rather have it be later. Me too. But you know what? Thing is, there, there's something to be said for the difference between living as a slave as a subject, and living free. At least fighting for your freedom. Okay, I'm not going to say, oh, well, you do this, you're going to be a free man. Hey, look around, man. Thing is, fighting the good fight is a good thing to do. It's an honorable thing to do. Hey, and you might, it might benefit you. I mean, honestly, I got to say, for all the all the legal battles and stuff and all the time wasted and all that, I I believe that in the long run it has benefited me where I live. Because I think, and I don't know this, but I think the powers that be where I live understand that there's way more sheep to shear than me. And probably I'm bad for business. Stay away from him unless he really does something like to somebody else and and really goes crazy. Stay away from him, you know. Just he's bad for business. Just he costs money, he's the problem. Stay away. You know, and Okay, so you don't want to do that. So, fine, you know, because, yeah, going to courts can be uh, nerve-wracking and all that stuff. A lot of people aren't suited for it. But one thing you are suited for, you can vote with your wallet. You can boycott things. You know, you can write letters to the editor, not that they'll get published. You can write letters to your congressmen and your, you know, state legislators, not that they'll read them. But you can do it. And they count them. Somebody reads them. And they count. Yep, for and against. For and against. And if they start getting against, 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 and it's piling up, uh, they start getting worried. Not only about being reelected, because some of them, they don't care about that because they know they got it in the bag, as they say. Uh, but they start worrying about, you know, if these people get too angry... Uh, Americans have a history of violence. Serious violence. I mean, the Civil War. Whew, man, could you imagine the Civil War taking place today with modern weaponry? There probably wouldn't be anybody left. We'd kill, we'd kill everybody. We'd, we'd all kill each other to the, to the last one. Last man standing, that's it. You're king of America. Back to the whole sovereign without subjects because all the subjects are dead. You're the last man standing. Woohoo! 
Yeah. I mean, they they carried out a bloodbath with muskets. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Please stump the room. Stay right where you're at.
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $140. $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's August 13th. It's 2015. It's Thursday. It's about 844 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. Thoughts all true? We're live. You can call in 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980. Go to our website, theamericanvoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can also instant message me on Yahoo. The screen name is A-V-R-N Talk. All right. Man, do I love that music. But the room, you know, I feel bad not giving this one to the room. But... Let's see here. Eric Somebody from last night is not going to cut it as a correct answer. 
I mean, it's close, and I know that, yeah, hey, wait a minute, I've heard this before, but, yeah, the, you see, the game is to name the artist, right? You know, so, uh, it's not Eric somebody. So, there's that, all right? <laughs> oh, man, anyway. Oh, uh, let's see here. It is Eric Sardinas. And I know I'll never be able to slip this by you again, because he does have a distinctive voice. And actually, the uh, the whole thing is Eric Sardinas and uh, Big Motor. Okay, that's the name of his band, I guess, is Big Motor. Uh, so that's the whole thing. If you want to look him up, uh, you can find him on the internet. And he is, if you want to get his album, he has an album on uh, the Favored Nations record label. That is Steve Vai. Okay? He's got his own record label called Favored Nations. And I'll tell you what, if this guy is any uh, indication of uh, Steve Vai's eye for talent, well, I'm going to be looking at... Uh, who else is on the Favored Nations uh, record label, let me tell you. Anyhow, that uh, that's who it is, that's who it was, and I cannot give it to the room, I'm sorry, but Eric, somebody from the other night, isn't going to make it, but now I know I can't slip him by you again, even though I will probably play him again, other songs, because uh, honestly, I haven't heard a song yet. And usually, you know, you'll 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 find an artist and you'll go, wow, that's really great. And then you'll look up, well, okay, let me look for this guy and let me get another song. And then, okay, well, that's not that great. And, you know, you're like, okay, you can say you got one really good song. This guy, man, I'll tell you what, every song, every song I've listened to so far has been great. Uh, really. So, look him up. Anyway, uh, first song was called Treat Me Right. Second one's Tired of Trying. So there you go. Great blues. All right, here we go. <clears throat> For the conspiracy segment of our program. Not that I actually have segments of programs, but uh, wait a minute. I'm not going to do that one first. I meant to do this one. All right, here we go first. The U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence wants to make it easier for private, uncleared companies, which don't usually aid the intelligence community, such as ride-sharing company Uber, to contribute to next-generation surveillance needs. Now, wait a minute. What does the government want here? Last I read, they were trying to put Uber out of business. Now they want to use them for their surveillance needs. The strategy to encourage unconventional partners to collaborate with intelligence agencies is part of a recently released unclassified roadmap that outlines the future of data analysis. The enhanced processing and management of data from disparate sources, as the plan is called, explains six areas that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, led by James Clapper, former general, believes will be crucial for surveillance community in the next future in the near future. One of our goals for the coming years is to try to extend our outreach via 
whichever trade associations are willing to take it on into the uncleared community as well. David Honey, the ODNI Director of Science and Technology, said, That's why getting this information onto the ODNI's open website was so important to us. We want to have that outreach to the non-traditionals. To include the uncleared performer community so that they can gain insight into what the challenges are that we face so that we can come forward with ideas. Oh, no, so they can. So in other words, they're looking for you to contact them with new and exciting ways on spying on your neighbor. Ooh, won't this be fun? Accessing private sector research and syncing it with ODNI threat assessments for the future means the right technology will be ready at the right time at the right price. For example, ride-sharing company Uber could offer the government tools that could be molded to fit intelligence gathering needs. Uh, So in other words, the government was cracking down on Uber. Now they're saying, well, hey, you know what? Maybe if you play ball with us and start spying on all your customers for us and sharing their information with us, we may let you survive. What do you say? Ooh, sticking a carrot? Does that that sound like this? Maybe they've got scheduling algorithms that would help us with our logistics problems, he said. If we can leverage those kinds of tools, leverage means blackmail. Okay, folks? I I want you to realize that anytime somebody says they're leveraging somebody, this is blackmail or some form of blackmail or extortion. Okay? That's how you leverage If we can leverage those kind of tools, maybe we got to adapt them a little bit. But that certainly beats having to go and pay for those things from scratch. Wow. Some of the areas they're seeking development include expertise in determining the biases of social media site moderators. Geolocation in the presence of encryption. Room temperature quantum computing. And immersive virtual world user experience. Whatever the heck that means. I mean, honestly, immersive virtual world user experience? Well, I'll have to get back to you on that because I don't know what that means. Do you? So, okay, the government is, uh, they're out there, man, and they're going to start trying to use uh, private tech companies, what they got, and try to get it off the shelf and adapt it to their needs of surveilling you. Ooh, this is going to be fun, huh? If you didn't like Agenda 21, then you're really not going to like the 2030 Agenda. 
Next month, the United Nations is going to launch the 2030 Agenda at a major conference that will be held from September 25th to September 27th in New York City. The Pope is actually traveling to New York to deliver an address which will kick off this conference. Unlike Agenda 21, which primarily focused on the environment, the 2030 Agenda is truly a template for governing governing the entire planet. In addition to addressing climate change, it also sets ambitious goals for areas such as economics, health, energy, education, agriculture, gender equality, and a whole host of other issues. As you will see below, the global initiative is being billed as a new universal agenda for humanity. Boy, is this sounding good or what, folks? Come on. Are you cheering yet? If you are anything like me, alarm bells are going off in your head right about now. Huh. The new agenda is solidly rooted in a document known as Agenda 21. And folks, this is this, you know, this is one of those UN documents that I keep telling you, you know, these this is not fantasy, this is not science fiction, this is not some horror story written by Isaac Asimov or anything like that. This is UN documents. This is their plan. This is their agenda. Now, you know, how much have they been able to accomplish? How much haven't they? Who knows? You you know, you really got to kind of look at that. But the fact of the matter is it's real. It's a real plan. It's a real agenda. They really want to do it, and they're never going to stop. They never quit. They might not get it done in your lifetime. They might not get it done in the next lifetime. But the thing is, they're going to keep at it. They always do. The new agenda is solidly rooted in a document known as Agenda 21 that was originally adopted by the United Nations back in 1992. The full text of Agenda 21 was made public at the UN Conference on Environment and Development Earth Summit held in Rio de Janeiro on June 13, 1992, where 178 governments voted to adopt the program. The final text was the result of drafting consultation and negotiation beginning in 1989 and culminating at the two-week conference. Since that time, Agenda 21 has been modified and amended numerous times. Noteworthy changes happened in 97, 2002, and 2012. But now the UN's Sustainable Development Program is being given an entirely new name. And the scope of this agenda is being broadened dramatically. Yeah, you see, sustainable development, yeah, people are catching on to that. That means population uh, extermination. Yeah, they like to say population control, but it's population extermination. Yeah. Gun control, genetically modified foods, on and on it goes. The following is what the official United Nations website has to say about it. The United Nations is now in the process of defining sustainable development goals as part of a new sustainable development agenda that must finish the job and leave no one behind. See, that's communism, folks. Nobody gets to not participate because, you see, the minute, no, the minute somebody doesn't participate, that somebody realizes they're doing better off by not participating. 
And other people see that and they go, well, well geez, if it's better not to participate, I'm not going to participate either. And then they got a problem. See? Hey, I got nothing against communism. You want to go live in a commune? Go ahead. I mean, honestly, you want to you want to put together a community and go live in a commune? Have at it, man. I I I won't. I I have nothing even bad to say about you. If that works for you, then good for you, man. You know, just like you people out there that don't want guns, that's fine. Fine with me. Don't have guns. But you know what? Don't tell me I can't have guns. Don't tell me I have to live in a commune. You want to eat GM food? Fine. Choke on it. Don't tell me I have to do it. You want a vaccination? Fine. Have it. But don't tell me I have to have one. Folks in this country need to start getting this attitude about that. That Look, man, you can do whatever you want. But don't think you're going to tell me I've got to do what you want to do. You want to do it? Go do it. Oh, it won't work unless everybody goes. Well, then it won't work, will it? Because I'm not going. Anyway, this agenda to be launched at the Sustainable Development Summit in September 2015 is currently being discussed at the UN General Assembly, where member states and civil society are making contributions to the agenda. Now they're calling the non-government organizations civil society, meaning as long as you're going along with the program, you're allowed to participate as a civil society, but if you are opposed to what they're doing, then you're no longer civil society and not allowed to participate. Just a few days ago, the core document of the 2030 agenda was finalized. When what is in this document starts getting out, it's going to create a huge stir among Americans that are concerned about the ambitions of the globalists. The following comes from the preamble of the document. Darn, I'm running out of time. This agenda is a plan of action for people, planet, and prosperity. It also seeks to strengthen universal peace and larger freedom. We recognize that extraditing poverty in all its forms and dimensions, including extreme poverty, is the greatest global challenge, yada, yada. All countries and all stakeholders acting in collaborative partnership will implement this plan. Uh-huh. We are resolved to free the human race with the tyranny of poverty and want and heal and secure our planet. We are determined to take the bold and transformative steps which are urgently needed to shift the world into a sustainable and resilient path. As we embark on this collective journey, collectivism, we pledge that no one will be left behind. Meaning, this is a collective thing, and if you don't want to participate, you're going to have to die. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals and 169 targets, which are announcing, uh, this goes on and on, folks. I'm going to have to uh, get back to this because I'm out of time. So we're going to have to cut it short. Well, not really cut it short, but end, end on time here, or a little over time. But we're going to have to end it now. And uh, if you want to hear more, tomorrow's Friday. I do a noon show. It'll be in the archives, though. You can always go get it there. And I will continue on where I left off with this, maybe give a little recap and start. But that's where I'm going to start tomorrow at noon. And uh, it goes through, uh, well, this goes through 17 of the goals. It's, uh... Anyway, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188 That's 800-375-4188 Protect yourself and your family. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The famous speech of Patrick Henry to the Virginia House of Burgesses 
given on March 23, 1775, and entitled, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. No man thinks more highly than I do of the patriotism as well as abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just addressed the house. But different men often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if, entertaining as I do, opinions of a character very opposite to theirs, I shall speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. This is no time for ceremony. The question before the House is one of awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. And in proportion to the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason toward my country and of an act of disloyalty towards the majesty of heaven, which I revere above all earthly kings. Mr. President, it is natural to man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of the number of those who, having eyes, see not, and having ears, hear not, the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past. And judging by the past... I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last ten years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves and the House. Is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comports with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array, if its purpose be not to force us to submission? Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? 
No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and rivet upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose to them? Shall we try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last ten years. Have we anything new to offer upon this subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has all been in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not already been exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned. We have remonstrated. We have supplicated. We have prostrated ourselves before the throne and have implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded, and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain after these things may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have so long been contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have so long been engaged, and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight! I repeat it, sir, we must fight! An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have us bound hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. The millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. 
Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. And let it come! I repeat it, sir. Let it come! It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God! I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death! Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 1. The Constitution has no inherent authority or obligation. It has no authority or obligation at all, unless as a contract between man and man. And it does not so much as even purport to be a contract between persons now existing. It purports, at most, to be only a contract between persons living 80 years ago. This essay was written in 1869. And it can be supposed to have been a contract then only between persons who had already come to years of discretion, so far as to be competent to make reasonable and obligatory contracts. Furthermore, we know historically that only a small portion, even of the people then existing, were consulted on the subject or asked or permitted to express either their consent or dissent in any formal manner. Those persons, if any, who did give their consent formally are all dead now. Most of them have been dead 40, 50, 60, or 70 years. And the Constitution, so far it was their contract, died with them. They had no natural power or right to make it obligatory upon their children. It is not only plainly impossible in the nature of things that they could bind their posterity, but they did not even attempt to bind them. That is to say, the instrument does not purport to be an agreement between anybody but the people then existing, nor does it either expressly or impliedly assert any right, power, or disposition on their part to bind anybody but themselves. Let us see. Its language is, we, the people of the United States, that is, the people then existing in the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It is plain in the first place that this language as an agreement purports to be only what it at most really was. That is to say, a contract between the people then existing, and of necessity, binding as a contract only upon those then existing. In the second place, the language neither expresses nor implies that they had any intention or desire, nor that they imagined that they had any right or power to bind their posterity to live under it. It does not say that their posterity will, shall, or must live under it. It only says, in effect that their hopes and motives in adopting it were that it might prove useful to their posterity as well as to themselves by promoting their union, safety, tranquility, liberty, etc. Suppose an agreement were entered into in this form. We, the people of Boston, 
agree to maintain a fort on Governor's Island to protect ourselves and our posterity against invasion. This agreement, as an agreement, would clearly bind nobody but the people then existing. Secondly, it would assert no right, power, or disposition on their part to compel their posterity to maintain such a fort. It would only indicate that the supposed welfare of their posterity was one of the motives that induced the original parties to enter into the agreement. When a man man says he is building a house for himself and his posterity, he does not mean to be understood as saying that he has any thought of binding them Nor is it to be inferred that he is so foolish as to imagine that he has any right or power to bind them to live in it. So far as they are concerned, he only means to be understood as saying that his hopes and motives in building it are that they, or at least some of them, may find it for their happiness to live in it. So when a man says he is planting a tree for himself and his posterity, he does not mean to be understood as saying that he has any thought of compelling them, nor is it to be inferred that he is such a simpleton as to imagine that he has any right or power to compel them to eat the fruit. So far as they are concerned, he only means to say that his hopes and motives in planting the tree are that its fruit may be agreeable to them. So it was with those who originally adopted the Constitution. Whatever may have been their personal intentions, the legal meaning of their language so far as their posterity was concerned simply was that their hopes and motives in entering into the agreement were that it might prove useful and acceptable to their posterity, that it might promote their union, safety, tranquility, and welfare and that it might tend to secure to them the blessings of liberty. The language does not assert, nor at all imply, any right, power, or disposition on the part of the original parties to the agreement to compel their posterity to live under it. If they had intended to bind their posterity to live under it, they should have said that their object was not to secure to them the blessings of liberty, but to make them slaves of them. For if their posterity are bound to live under it, they are nothing less than the slaves of their foolish, tyrannical, and dead grandfathers. It cannot be said that the Constitution formed the people of the United States for all time into a corporation. It does not speak of the people as a corporation, but as individuals. A corporation does not describe itself as we, nor as people, nor as ourselves. Nor does a corporation in legal language have any posterity. It supposes itself to have, and speaks of itself as having, perpetual existence as a single individuality. Moreover, no body of men, existing at any one time, have the power to create a perpetual corporation. A corporation can become practically perpetual only by the voluntary accession of new members as the old ones die off. But for this voluntary accession of new members, the corporation necessarily dies with the death of those who originally composed it. Legally speaking, therefore, there is in the Constitution nothing that professes or attempts to bind the posterity of those who established it. If, then, those who established the Constitution had no power to bind and did not attempt to bind their posterity, the question arises whether their posterity have bound themselves. If they have done so, they can have done so in only one or both of these two ways. That is to say, by voting and paying taxes. By Sanders Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 2. Let us consider these two matters, voting and tax paying, separately, and first the voting. All the voting that has ever taken place under the Constitution has been of such a kind that it not only did not pledge the whole people to support the Constitution, but it did not even pledge any one of them to do so, as the following considerations show. 
One, in the very nature of things, the act of voting could bind nobody but the actual voters. But owing to the property qualifications required, it is probable that during the first 20 or 30 years under the Constitution, not more than one-tenth, fifteenth, or perhaps twentieth of the whole population, black and white, men, women, and minors, were permitted to vote. Consequently, so far as voting was concerned, not more than one-tenth, fifteenth, or twentieth of those then existing could have incurred any obligation to support the Constitution. At the present time, it is probable that not more than one-sixth of the whole population are permitted to vote. Consequently, so far as voting is concerned, the other five-sixths can have given no pledge that they will support the Constitution. Two. Of the one-sixth that are permitted to vote, probably not more than two-thirds, about one-ninth of the whole population, have usually voted. Many never vote at all. Many vote only once in two, three, five, or ten years in periods of great excitement. No one, by voting, can be said to pledge himself for any longer period than that for which he votes. If, for example, I vote for an officer who is to hold his office for only one year, I cannot be said to have thereby pledged myself to support the government beyond that term. Therefore, on the ground of actual voting, it probably cannot be said that more than one-ninth or one-eighth of the whole population are usually under any pledge to support the Constitution. Three, it cannot be said that by voting a man pledges himself to support the Constitution unless the act of voting be a perfectly voluntary one on his part. Yet the act of voting cannot properly be called a voluntary one on the part of any very large number of persons who do vote. It is rather a measure of necessity imposed upon them by others than by one of their own choice. At this point, I repeat what was said in a former number. In truth, in the case of individuals, their actual voting is not to be taken as proof of consent even for the time being. On the contrary, it is to be considered that without his consent having even been asked, a man finds himself environed by a government that he cannot resist, a government that forces him to pay money, render service, and forego the exercise of many of his natural rights under peril of weighty punishments. He sees, too, that other men practice this tyranny over him by the use of the ballot. He sees further that, if he will but use the ballot himself, he has some chance of relieving himself from this tyranny of others by subjecting them to his own. In short, he finds himself, without his consent, so situated that if he use the ballot, he may become a master. If he does not use it, he must become a slave. And as he has no other alternative than these two, in self-defense, he attempts the former. His case is analogous to that of a man who has been forced into battle, where he must either kill others or be killed himself. Because, to save his own life in battle, a man attempts to take the lives of his opponents, it is not to be inferred that the battle is one of his own choosing. Neither in contest with the ballot, which is a mere substitute for a bullet, because, as his only chance at self-preservation, a man uses a ballot, it is not to be inferred that the contest is one into which he voluntarily entered, that he voluntarily set up all his own natural rights as a stake against those of others, to be lost or won by the mere power of numbers. On the contrary, it is to be considered that in an exigency into which he had been forced by others, and in which no other means of self-defense offered, he, as a matter of necessity, used the only one that was left to him. Doubtless, the most miserable of men, under the most oppressive government in the world, if allowed the ballot, would use it, see any chance of thereby ameliorating their condition. But it would not, therefore, be a legitimate inference that the government itself that crushes them was one which they had voluntarily set up or even consented to. Therefore, a man's voting under the Constitution of the United States is not to be taken as evidence that he ever freely assented to the Constitution, even for the time being. Consequently, we have no proof that any very large portion, even of the actual voters of the United States, ever really involuntarily consented to the Constitution, even for the time being. 
Nor can we ever have such proof until every man is left perfectly free to consent or not without thereby subjecting himself or his property to be disturbed or injured by others. As we can have no legal knowledge as to who votes from choice and who from the necessity thus forced upon him, we can have no legal knowledge as to any particular individual that he voted from choice, or, consequently, that by voting he consented or pledged himself to support the government. Legally speaking, therefore, the act of voting utterly fails to pledge any one to support the government fails to prove that the government rests upon the voluntary support of anybody. On general principles of law and reason, it cannot be said that the government has any voluntary supporters at all, till it can be distinctly shown who its voluntary supporters are. 4. As taxation is made compulsory on all, whether they vote or not, a large proportion of those who vote no doubt do so to prevent their own money being used against themselves. When, in fact, they would have gladly abstained from voting if they could thereby have saved themselves from taxation alone, to say nothing of being saved from all the other usurpations and tyrannies of the government. To take a man's property without his consent, and then to infer his consent because he attempts by voting to prevent that property from being used to his injury is a very insufficient proof of his consent to support the Constitution. It is, in fact, no proof at all. As we can have no legal knowledge as to who the particular individuals are, if there are any, who are willing to be taxed for the sake of voting, we can have no legal knowledge that any particular individual consents to be taxed for the sake of voting, or consequently consents to support the Constitution. 5. At nearly all elections, votes are given for various candidates for the same office. Successful candidates cannot properly be said to have voted to sustain the Constitution. They may, with more reason, be supposed to have voted not to support the Constitution, but especially to prevent the tyranny which they anticipate the successful candidate intends to practice upon them on the color of the Constitution, and thereby may reasonably be supposed to have voted against the Constitution itself. This supposition is the more reasonable, inasmuch as such voting is the only mode allowed to them of expressing their dissent to the Constitution. 6. Many votes are usually given for the candidates who have no prospect of success. Those who give such votes may reasonably be supposed to have voted as they did, with a special intention not to support, but to obstruct the execution of the Constitution, and therefore against the Constitution itself. 7. As all the different votes are given secretly by secret ballot, there is no legal means of knowing from the votes themselves who votes for and who against the Constitution. Therefore, voting affords no legal evidence that any particular individual supports the Constitution. And where there can be no legal evidence that any particular individual supports the Constitution, it cannot legally be said that anybody supports it. It is clearly impossible to have any legal proof of the intentions of large numbers of men where there can be no legal proof of the intentions of any particular one of them. 8. There can be no legal proof of any man's intentions in voting. We can only conjecture them. As a conjecture, it is probable that a very large proportion of those who vote do so on this principle, that is to say, that if, by voting, they could but get the government into their own hands, or that of their friends, and use its powers against their opponents, they would then willingly support the Constitution. But if their opponents are to have the power and use it against them, then they would not willingly support the Constitution. In short, men's voluntary support of the Constitution is doubtless, in most cases, wholly contingent upon the question whether, by means of the Constitution, they can make themselves masters or are to be made slaves. Such contingent consent as that is, in law and reason, no consent at all. 9. As everybody who supports the Constitution by voting, if there are or any such, does so secretly by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid all personal responsibility for the act of his agents or representatives, it cannot legally or reasonably be said that anybody at all supports the Constitution by voting. No man can reasonably or legally be said to do such a thing as to assent to or support the Constitution unless he does it openly and in a way to make himself personally responsible for the acts of his agents, so long as they act in the limits of the power he delegates to them. 
10. As all voting is secret by secret ballot, and as all secret governments are necessarily only secret bands of robbers, tyrants, and murderers, the general fact that our government is practically carried on by means of such voting only proves that there is among us a secret band of robbers, tyrants, and murderers whose purpose is to rob, enslave, and, so far as necessary to accomplish their purposes, murder the rest of the people. The simple fact of the existence of such a band does nothing towards proving that the people of the United States or any one of them voluntarily supports the Constitution. For all the reasons that have now been given, voting furnishes no legal evidence as to who the particular individuals are, if there are any, who voluntarily support the Constitution. It therefore furnishes no legal evidence that anybody supports it voluntarily. So far, therefore, as voting is concerned, the Constitution, legally speaking, has no supporters at all. The ostensible supporters of the Constitution, like the ostensible supporters of most other governments, are made up of three classes, that is to say, one, knaves who see in the government an instrument which they can use for their own aggrandizement and wealth. Two, dupes, a large class, no doubt, each of whom, because he is allowed one voice out of millions in deciding what he may do with his own person and his own property, and because he is permitted to have the same voice in robbing, enslaving, and murdering others, that others have in robbing, enslaving, and murdering himself, is stupid enough to imagine that he's a free man, a sovereign, that this is a free government, a government of equal rights, the best government on earth, and such like absurdities. 3. A class who have some appreciation of the evils of government, but either do not see how to get rid of them, or do not choose to so far sacrifice their private interests as to give themselves seriously and earnestly to the work of making a change. By Sanders Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 3. Payment of taxes, being compulsory, of course furnishes no evidence that any one voluntarily supports the Constitution. 1. It is true that the theory of our Constitution is that all taxes are paid voluntarily. That our government is a mutual insurance company voluntarily entered into by the people with each other. That each man makes a free and purely voluntary contract with all others who are parties to the Constitution. To pay so much money for so much protection, the same as he does with any other insurance company. And that he's just as free not to be protected and not to pay tax as he is to pay a tax and be protected. But this theory of our government is wholly different from the practical fact. The fact is that the government, like a highwayman, says to a man, your money or your life. And many, if not most, taxes are paid under the compulsion of that threat. The government does not indeed waylay a man in a lonely place, spring upon him from the roadside, and, holding a pistol to his head, proceed to rifle his pockets. But the robbery is nonetheless a robbery on that account, and is far more dastardly and shameful. The highwayman takes solely upon himself the responsibility, danger, and crime of his own act. He does not pretend that he has any rightful claim to your money, or that he intends to use it for your own benefit. He does not pretend to be anything but a robber. He has not required impudence enough to profess to be merely a protector, and that he takes men's money against their will merely to enable him to protect those infatuated travelers who feel perfectly able to protect themselves or who do not appreciate his peculiar system of protection. He is too sensible a man to make such professions as these. Furthermore, having taken your money, he leaves you as you wish him to do. He does not persist in following you on the road against your will, assuming to be your rightful sovereign on account of the protection he has forged you. He does not keep protecting you by commanding you to bow down and serve him, by requiring you to do this and forbidding you to do that, by robbing you of more money as often as, he's, as he finds it for his interest or pleasure to do so, and by branding you as a rebel, a traitor, or an enemy to your country, and shooting you down without mercy if you dispute his authority or resist his demands. He is too much of a gentleman to be guilty of such impostures and insults and villainies as these. 
In short, he does not, in addition to robbing you, attempt to make you either his dupe or his slave. The proceedings of those robbers and murderers who call themselves the government are directly the opposite of these of the single highwaymen. In the first place, they do not, like him, make themselves individually known, or, consequently, take upon themselves personally the responsibility of their acts. On the contrary, they secretly, by secret ballot, designate some one of their number to commit the robbery in their behalf, while they keep themselves practically concealed. They say to the person thus designated, Go to A and B and say to him that the government has need of money to meet the expenses of protecting him and his property. If he presumes to say that he has never contracted with us to protect him and that he wants none of our protection, say to him that that is our business and not his. That we choose to protect him whether he desires us to do so or not, and that we demand pay too for protecting him. If he dares to inquire who the individuals are who have thus taken upon themselves the title of the government, and who assume to protect him and demand payment of him, without his having ever made any contract with them, say to him that that too is our business, and not his, that we do not choose to make ourselves individually known to him, that we have secretly by secret ballot appointed you, our agent, to give him notice of our demands, and, if he complies with them, to give him in our name a receipt that will protect him against any similar demand for the present year. If he refuses to comply, seize and sell enough of his property to pay not only our demands, but all of your own expenses and trouble beside. If he resists the seizure of his property, call upon the bystanders to help you. Doubtless some of them will prove to be members of our band. If in defending his property he should kill any of our band who are assisting you, capture him at all hazards, charge him in one of our courts with murder, convict him, and hang him. If he should call upon his neighbors or any others who, like him, may be disposed to resist our demands, and they should come in large numbers to his assistance, cry out that they are all rebels and traitors, that our country is in danger. Call upon the commander of our hired murderers. Tell him to quell the rebellion and save the country, cost what it may. Tell him to kill all who resist, though they should be hundreds of thousands, and thus strike terror into all others similarly disposed. See that the work of murder is thoroughly done that we may have no further trouble of this kind hereafter. When these traders shall have thus been taught our strength and our determination, they will be good, loyal citizens for many years, and pay their taxes without a why or a wherefore. It is under such compulsion as this that taxes, so-called, are paid. And how much proof the payment of taxes affords that the people consent to support the government, it needs a further argument to show. Two, still another reason why the payment of taxes applies implies no consent or pledge to support the government, is that the taxpayer does not know and has no means of knowing who the particular individuals are who compose the government. To him, the government is a myth, an abstraction, an incorporality, with which he can make no contract and to which he can give no consent and make no pledge. He knows it only through his pretended agents. The government itself he never sees. He knows indeed by common report that certain persons of a certain age are permitted to vote, and thus to make themselves parts of, or, if they choose, opponents of, the government for the time being. But who of them do thus vote, and especially how each one votes, whether so as to aid or oppose the government, he does not know. The voting being all done secretly by secret ballot. Who, therefore, practically composed the government for the time being, he has no means of knowing. Of course, he can make no contract with them, give them no consent, and make them no pledge. Of necessity, therefore, his paying taxes to them implies, on his part, no contract, consent, or pledge to support them, that is, to support the government or the Constitution. 3. Not knowing who the particular individuals are who call themselves the government, the taxpayer does not know whom he pays his taxes to, 
All he knows is that a man comes to him representing himself to be an agent of the government. That is, the agent of a secret band of robbers and murderers who have taken to themselves the title of the government and have determined to kill everybody who refuses to give them whatever money they demand. To save his life, he gives up his money to this agent. But as this agent does not make his principles individually known to the taxpayer, the latter, after he has given up his money, knows no more who the government, that is, who, are the, who were the robbers, than he did before. To say, therefore, that by giving up his money to their agent, he entered into a voluntary contract with them, that he pledges himself to obey them, to support them, and to give them whatever money they should demand of him in the future, is simply ridiculous. Four, all political power, as it is called, rests practically upon this matter of money. Any number of scoundrels, having money enough to start with, can establish themselves as a government. Because with money, they can hire soldiers, and with soldiers, extort more money, and also compel general obedience to their will. It is with government, as Caesar said it was in war, that money and soldiers mutually support each other. That with money, he could hire soldiers, and with soldiers, extort money. So these villains, who call themselves governments, well understand that their power rests primarily upon money. With money, they can hire soldiers, and with soldiers, extort money. And, when their authority is denied, the first use they always make of money is to hire soldiers to kill or subdue all who refuse them more money. For this reason, whoever desires liberty should understand these vital facts. That is to say, one, that every man who puts money into the hands of a government, so-called, puts into his hands a sword which will be used against himself to extort more money from him and also to keep him in subjection to its arbitrary will. Two, that those who will take his money without his consent in the first place will use it for his further robbery and enslavement if he presumes to resist their demands in the future. 3. That it is a perfect absurdity to suppose that any body of men would ever take a man's money without his consent for any such object as they profess to take it for, that is to say, that of protecting him. For why should they wish to protect him if he does not wish them to do so? To suppose that they would do so is just as absurd as it would be to suppose that they would take his money without his consent for the purpose of buying food or clothing for him when he did not want it. 4. If a man wants protection, he is competent to make his own bargains for it, and nobody has any occasion to rob him in order to protect him against his will. 5. That the only security men can have for their political liberty consists in their keeping their money in their own pockets until they have assurances perfectly satisfactory to themselves, that it will be used as they wish it to be used for their benefit and not for their injury. 6. That no government so-called can reasonably be trusted for a moment or reasonably be supposed to have honest purposes in view any longer than it depends wholly upon voluntary support. These facts are, so, are all so vital and so self-evident that it cannot reasonably be supposed that anyone will voluntarily pay money to a government for the purpose of securing its protection unless he first makes an explicit and purely voluntary contract with it for the, that purpose. It is perfectly evident, therefore, that neither such voting nor such payment of taxes, as usually takes place, proves anybody's consent or obligation to support the Constitution. Consequently, we have no evidence at all that the Constitution is binding upon anybody, or that anybody is under any contract or obligation whatever to support it. And nobody is under any obligation to support it. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 4. The Constitution not only binds nobody now, but it never did bind anybody. And never bound to anybody, because it was never agreed to by anybody in such a manner as to make it, on general principles of law and reason, binding upon him. It is a general principle of law and reason that a written instrument binds no one until he has signed it. 
This principle is so inflexible a one that even though a man is unable to write his name, he must still make his mark before he is bound by a written contract. This custom was established ages ago, when few men could write their names, when a clerk, that is, a man who could write, was so rare and valuable a person that even if he were guilty of high crimes, he was entitled to pardon, on the ground that the public could not afford to lose his services. Even at that time, a written contract must be signed, and men who could not write either made their mark or signed their contracts by stamping their seals upon wax affixed to the parchment on which their contracts were written, hence the custom of affixing seals that has continued to this time. The law holds, and reason declares, that if a written instrument is not signed, the presumption must be that the party to be bound by it did not choose to sign it, or to bind himself by it. And law and reason both give him until the last moment in which to decide whether he will sign it or not. Neither law nor reason requires or expects a man to agree to an instrument until it is written. For until it is written, he cannot know its precise legal meaning. And when it is written, and he has had the opportunity to satisfy himself of the precise legal meaning... He is then expected to decide, and not before, whether he will agree to it or not. And if he do not then sign it, his reason is supposed to be that he does not choose to enter into such a contract. The fact that the instrument was written for him to sign, or with the hope that he would sign it, goes for nothing. Where would the end of fraud in litigation if one party could bring into court a written instrument without any signature and claim to have it enforced upon the ground that it was written for another man to sign? that this other man had promised to sign it, that he ought to have signed it, that he had the opportunity to sign it, if he would, but that he had refused or neglected to do so. Yet, that is the most that could ever be said of the Constitution. The very men who drafted it never signed it in any way to bind themselves by it as a contract, and not one of them probably ever would have signed it in any way to bind himself by it as a contract. Yet the very judges who professed to derive all their authority from the Constitution from an instrument that nobody ever signed, would spurn any other instrument not signed that should be brought before them for adjudication. Moreover, a written instrument must, in law and reason, not only be signed, but must also be delivered to the party or to someone for him. The signing is of no effect unless the instrument be also delivered. And a party is at perfect liberty to refuse to deliver a written instrument after he has signed it. He is as free to refuse to deliver it as he is to refuse to sign it. The Constitution was not only never signed by anybody, but it was never delivered by anybody or to anybody's agent or attorney. It can therefore be of no more validity as a contract than any other instrument that was never signed or delivered. By Sandra Spooner's No Treason, Constitution of No Authority, Part 5. As further evidence of the general sense of mankind... As to the practical necessity there is that all men's important contracts, especially those of a permanent nature, should be both written and signed, the following facts are pertinent. For nearly 200 years, that is, since 1677, there has been on the Statute Book of England, and the same in substance, if not precisely in letter, has been reenacted, and is now in force, in nearly or quite all the states of this Union, a statute. The general object of which is to declare that no action shall be brought to enforce contracts of the more important class unless they are put in writing and signed by the parties to be held chargeable upon them. The principle of the statute, be it observed, is not merely that written contracts shall be signed, but also that all contracts, except those specially exempted, generally those that are for small amounts and are to remain in force but a short time, shall be both written and signed. The reason of the statute on this point is that it is now so easy a thing for men to put their contracts in writing and sign them, and their failure to do so opens the door to so much doubt, 
fraud, and litigation that men who neglect to have their contracts of any considerable importance, written and signed, ought not to have the benefit of courts of justice to enforce them. And this reason is a wise one, and that experience has confirmed its wisdom and necessity is demonstrated by the fact that it has been acted upon in England for nearly 200 years and has been so nearly universally adopted in this country, and that nobody thinks of repealing it. We all know, too, how careful most men are to have their contracts written and signed, even when the statute does not require it. For example, most men, if they have money due them, of no larger amount than 5 or $10, are careful to take a note for it. If they buy even a small bill of goods, paying for it at the time of delivery, they take a receipted bill for it. If they pay a small balance of a book account or any other small debt previously contracted, they take a written receipt for it. Furthermore, the law everywhere, probably, in our country, as well as in England, requires that a large class of contracts, such as wills, deeds, etc., shall not only be written and signed, but also sealed, witnessed, and acknowledged. And in the case of married women conveying their rights in real estate, the law in many states requires that the women shall be examined separate and apart from their husbands and declare that they sign their contracts free of any fear or compulsion of their husbands. Such are some of the precautions which the laws require and which individuals, for motives of common prudence, even in cases not required by law, take to put their contracts in writing and have them signed and to guard against all uncertainties and controversies in regard to their meaning and validity. And yet, we have what purports or professes or is claimed to be a contract the Constitution, made 80 years ago by men who are now all dead and who never had any power to bind us, but which, it is claimed, has nevertheless bound three generations of men, consisting of many millions, and which, it is claimed, will be binding upon all the millions that are to come, but which nobody ever signed, sealed, delivered, witnessed, or acknowledged, and which few persons, compared with the whole number that are claimed to be bound by it, have ever read or even seen, or ever will read or see. And of those who have ever read it, or ever will read it, scarcely any two, perhaps no two, have ever agreed, or ever will agree, as to what it means. Moreover, this supposed contract, which would not be received in any court of justice sitting under its authority, if offered to prove a debt of $5, owing by one man to another, is one by which, as it is generally interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, all men, women, and children throughout the country and through all time surrender not only all their property, but also their liberties and even lives into the hands of men who by the supposed contract are expressly made wholly irresponsible for their disposal of them. And we are so insane or so wicked as to destroy property and lives without limit in fighting to compel men to fulfill a supposed contract, which inasmuch as it has never been signed by anybody, is, on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we are all governed by in regard to other contracts, the merest waste paper, binding upon nobody, fit only to be thrown into the fire, or, if preserved, preserved only to serve as a witness and a warning of the folly and wickedness of mankind. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 6. It is no exaggeration, but a literal truth, to say that, by the Constitution, not as I interpret it, but as it is interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, the properties, liberties, and lives of the entire people of the United States are surrendered unreservedly into the hands of men who, it is provided by the Constitution itself, shall never be questioned as to any disposal they make of them. Thus, the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, provides that, for any speech or debate or vote, 
in either house, they, the senators and representatives, shall not be questioned in any other place. The whole lawmaking power is given to these senators and representatives when acting by a two-thirds vote. And this provision protects them from all responsibility for the laws they make. The Constitution also enables them to secure the execution of all their laws by giving them power to withhold the salaries of and to impeach or remove all judicial and executive officers who refuse to execute them. Thus, the whole power of the government is in their hands, and they are made utterly irresponsible for the use they make of it. What is this but absolute irresponsible power? It is no answer to this view of the case to say that these men are under oath to use their power only within certain limits. For what care they? Or what should they care? For oaths or limits, when it is expressly provided by the Constitution itself, that they shall never be questioned or held to any responsibility whatever for violating their oaths or transgressing those limits. Neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the particular individuals holding this power can be changed once in two or six years. For the power of each set of men is absolute during the term for which they hold it. And when they can hold it no longer, they are su succeeded by men whose powers will be equally absolute and irresponsible. And neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the men holding this absolute irresponsible power must be men chosen by the people or portions of them to hold it. A man is nonetheless a slave because he is allowed to choose a new master once in a term of years. Neither are people any less slaves because permitted periodically to choose new masters. What makes them slaves is the fact that they are now, and are always hereafter to be, in the hands of men whose power over them is and always will be, absolute and irresponsible. Of what appreciable value is it to any man, as an individual, that he is allowed a voice in choosing these public masters? His voice is only one of several millions. See, the right of absolute and irresponsible dominion is the right of property, and the right of property is the right of absolute irresponsible dominion. The two are identical, the one necessarily implying the other. Neither can exist without the other. If, therefore, Congress have that absolute and irresponsible lawmaking power which the Constitution, according to their interpretation of it, gives them, it can only be because they own us as property. If they own us as property, they are our masters, and their will is our law. If they do not own us as property, they are not our masters, and their will, as such, is of no authority over us. But these men who claim and exercise this absolute and irresponsible dominion over us dare not be consistent and claim either to be our masters or to own us as property. They say that they are only our servants, agents, attorneys, and representatives. But this declaration involves an absurdity, a contradiction. No man can be my servant, agent, attorney, or representative and be, at the same time, uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me for his acts. It is of no importance that I appointed him and put all power into his hands if I made him uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me, he is no longer my servant, agent, attorney, or representative. If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over my property, I gave him the property. If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over myself, I made him my master and gave myself to him as a slave. And it is of no importance whether I called him master or servant, agent or owner. The only question is, what power did I put into his hands? Was it an absolute and irresponsible one, or a limited and responsible one? For still another reason, they are neither our agents, servants, attorneys, nor representatives. And, for that, and that reason is that we do not make ourselves responsible for their acts. If a man is my servant, agent, or attorney, I necessarily make myself responsible 
for all his acts done within the limits of the power I have entrusted to him. If I have entrusted him as my agent with either absolute power or any power at all over the persons or property of other men other than myself, I thereby necessarily make myself responsible to those other persons for any injuries he may do to them so long as he acts within the limits of the power I have granted him. But no individual who may be injured in his person or property by acts of Congress can come to the individual electors and hold them responsible for these acts of their so-called agents or representatives. This fact proves that these pretended agents of the people, of everybody, are really the agents of nobody. If then... Nobody is individually responsible for the acts of Congress. The members of Congress are nobody's agents. And if they are nobody's agents, they are themselves individually responsible for their own acts and for their acts of all whom they employ. And the authority they are exercising is simply their own individual authority. And, by the law of nature, the highest of all laws, anybody injured by their acts, anybody who is deprived by them of his property or his liberty, has the same right to hold them individually responsible that he has to hold any other trespasser individually responsible. He has the same right to resist them and their agents that he has to resist any other trespassers. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 7. It is plain, then, that on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we all act upon in courts of justice and in common life, the Constitution is no contract, that it binds nobody and never did bind anybody and that all those who pretend to act by its authority are really acting without any legitimate authority at all, that on general principles of law and reason, they are mere usurpers, and that everybody not only has the right, but is morally bound to treat them as such. If the people of this country wish to maintain such a government as the Constitution describes, there is no reason in the world why they should not sign the instrument itself, and thus make known their wishes in an open, authentic manner in such manner as the common sense and experience of mankind have shown to be reasonable and necessary in such cases, and in such manner as to make themselves, as they ought to do, individually responsible for the acts of the government. But the people have never been asked to sign it. And the only reason why they have never been asked to sign it has been that it has been known that they never would sign it, that they were neither such fools nor knaves as they must needs have been to be willing to sign it, that, at least as it has been practically interpreted, it is not what any sensible and honest man wants for himself, nor such as he has any right to impose upon others. It is, to all moral intents and purposes, as destitute of obligation as the compacts which robbers and thieves and pirates enter into with each other but never sign. If any considerable number of the people believe the Constitution to be good, why do they not sign it themselves and make laws for and administer them upon each other, leaving all other persons who do not interfere with them in peace? Until they have tried the experiment for themselves, how can they have the face to impose the Constitution upon, or even to recommend it to, others? Plainly, the reason for such absurd and inconsistent conduct is that they want the Constitution, not solely for any honest or legitimate use it can be of to themselves or others, but for the dishonest and illegitimate power it gives them over the persons and properties of others. But for this latter reason, and all their eulogiums on the Constitution... All their exhortations and all their expenditures of money and blood to sustain it would be wanting. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 8. The Constitution itself, then, being of no authority, on what authority does our government practically rest? On what ground can those who pretend to administer it claim the right to seize men's property, to restrain them of their natural liberty of action, industry and trade, and to kill all who deny their authority to dispose of men's properties, liberties, and lives at their pleasure or discretion? 
The most they can say in answer to this question is that some half, two-thirds, or three-fourths of the male adults of the country have a tacit understanding they will maintain a government under the Constitution, that they will select by ballot the persons to administer it, and that those persons who may receive a majority or a plurality of their ballots shall act as their representatives and administer the Constitution in their name and by their authority. But this tacit understanding, admitting it to exist, cannot at all justify the conclusion drawn from it. A tacit understanding between A, B, and C that they will, by ballot, deputize D as their agent to deprive me of my property, liberty, or life cannot at all authorize D to do so. He is nonetheless a robber, tyrant, and murderer because he claims to act as their agent than he would be if he avowedly acted on his own responsibility alone. Neither am I bound to recognize him as their agent, nor can he legitimately claim to be their agent when he brings no written authority from them accrediting him as such. I am under no obligation to take his word as to who his principles may be, or whether he has any. Bringing no credentials, I have a right to say he has no such authority even as he claims to have, and that he is therefore intending to rob, enslave, or murder me on his own account. This tacit understanding, therefore, among the voters of the country amounts to nothing as an authority to their agents. Neither do the ballots by which they select their agents avail any more than does their tacit understanding, for their ballots are given in secret, and therefore in a way to avoid any personal responsibility for the acts of their agents. No body of men can be said to authorize a man to act as their agent to the injury of a third person unless they do it in so open and authentic a manner as to make themselves personally responsible for his acts. None of the voters in this country appoint their political agents in any open, authentic manner, or in any manner to make themselves responsible for their acts. Therefore, these pretended agents cannot legitimately claim to really be agents. Somebody must be responsible for the acts of these pretended agents, and if they cannot show any open and authentic credentials from their principles, they cannot in law or reason be said to have any principles. The maxim applies here. That what does not appear does not exist. If they can show no principles, they have none. But even these pretended agents do not themselves know who their pretended principles are. These latter act in secret, for acting by secret ballot is acting in secret as much as if they were to meet in secret conclave in the darkness of the night. And they are personally as much unknown to the agents they select as they are to others. No pretended agent, therefore, can ever know by whose ballot he is selected, or consequently who his real principles are. Not knowing who his principles are, he has no right to say he has any. He can, at most, say only that he is the agent of a secret band of robbers and murderers who were bind by that faith which prevails among confederates in crime, to stand by him if his acts, done in their name, shall be resisted. Men honestly engaged in attempting to establish justice in the world have no occasion to thus act in secret, or to appoint agents to do acts by which they, the principals, are not willing to be responsible. The secret ballot makes a secret government, and a secret government is a secret band of robbers and murderers. Open despotism is better than this. The single despot stands out in the face of all men and says, I am the state. My will is law. I am your master. I take the responsibility of my acts. The only arbiter I acknowledge is the sword. If anyone denies my right, let him try conclusions with me. But a secret government is little less than a government of assassins. Under it, a man knows not who his tyrants are, until they have struck, and perhaps not then. He may guess beforehand as to some of his immediate neighbors. But he really knows nothing. The man to whom he would most naturally fly for protection may prove an enemy when the trial comes. This is the kind of government we have, and is the only one we are likely to have until men are ready to say. We will consent to no constitution, except such and one 
as we are neither ashamed nor afraid to sign, and we will authorize no government to do anything in our name which we are not willing to be personally responsible for. By Sanders Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 9. What is the motive to the secret ballot? This and only this. Like other Confederates in crime, those who use it are not friends, but enemies, and they are afraid to be known and to have their individual doings known even to each other. They can contrive to bring about a sufficient understanding to enable them to act in concert against other persons. But beyond this, they have no confidence and no friendship among themselves. In fact, they are engaged quite as much in schemes for plundering each other as in plundering those who are not of them. And it is perfectly well understood among them that the strongest party among them will, in certain contingencies, murder each other by the hundreds of thousands, as they lately did do, to accomplish their purposes against each other. Hence, they dare not to be known, and have their individual doings known even to each other. And this is avowedly the only reason for the ballot, for a secret government, a government by secret bands of robbers and murderers. And we are insane enough to call this liberty? To be a member of the secret band of robbers and murderers is esteemed a privilege and an honor? Without this privilege, a man is considered a slave, but with it, a free man? With it, he is considered a free man because he has the same power to secretly, by secret ballot, procure the robbery, enslavement, and murder of another man? And that other man has to procure his robbery, enslavement, and murder? And this they call equal rights? If any number of men, many or few, claim the right to govern the people of this country, let them make and sign an open compact with each other to do so. Let them thus make themselves individually known to those whom they propose to govern. And let them thus openly take the legitimate responsibility of their acts. How many of those who now support the Constitution will ever do this? How many will ever dare openly proclaim their right to govern or take the legitimate responsibility of their acts? Not one. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 10. It is obvious that, on general principles of law and reason, there exists no such thing as a government created by or resting upon any consent, compact, or agreement of the people of the United States with each other. That the only visible, tangible, responsible government that exists is that of a few individuals only, who act in concert and call themselves by the several names of senators, representatives, presidents, judges, marshals, treasurers, collectors, generals, colonels, captains, etc., etc. On general principles of law and reason, it is of no importance whatever that these few individuals profess to be the agents and representatives of the people of the United States. Since they can show no credentials from the people themselves, they were never appointed as agents or representatives in any open, authentic manner. They do not themselves know and have no means of knowing and cannot prove who their principles, as they call them, are individually, and consequently cannot in law or reason be said to have any principles at all. It is obvious, too, that if these alleged principles ever did appoint these pretended agents or representatives, they appointed them secretly, by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid all personal responsibility for their acts, that at most these alleged principles put these pretended agents forward for the most criminal purposes, that is to say, to plunder the people of their property and restrain them of their liberty, and that the only authority that these alleged principles have for so doing is simply a tacit understanding among themselves that they will imprison, shoot, or hang every man who resists the exactions and restraints which their agents or representatives may impose upon them. Thus, it is obvious that the only visible, tangible government we have is made up of these professed agents or representatives of a secret band of robbers and murderers who, to cover up or gloss over their robberies and murders, have taken to themselves the title of the people of the United States, and who, on the pretense of being the people of the United States, assert their right to subject to their dominion and to control and dispose of, at their pleasure, all property and persons found in the United States. 
Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 11. On general principles of law and reason, the oaths which these pretended agents of the people take to support the Constitution are of no validity or obligation. And why? For this, if for no other reason, that they are given to nobody. There is no privity, as the lawyers say, that is no mutual recognition, consent, and agreement between those who take these oaths and any other persons. If I go upon Boston Common, and in the presence of a hundred thousand people, men, women, and children, with whom I have no contract on the subject, take an oath that I will enforce upon them the law of Moses, of Lycurgus, of Solon, of Justinian, or of Alfred, that oath is, on general principles of law and reason, of no obligation. It is of no obligation not merely because it is intrinsically a criminal one, but also because it is given to nobody, and consequently pledges my faith to nobody. It is merely given to the winds. It would not alter the case at all to say that among these hundred thousand persons, in whose presence the oath was taken, there were two, three, or five thousand male adults who had secretly, by secret ballot, and in a way to avoid making themselves individually known to me, or to the remainder of the hundred thousand, designated me secretly, and in a manner to prevent my knowing them individually, prevents all privity between them and me, and consequently makes it impossible that there could be any contract or pledge of faith on my part towards them, for it is impossible that I can pledge my faith in any legal sense to a man whom I neither know nor have any means of knowing individually. So far as I am concerned, then, these two, three, or five thousand persons are a secret band of robbers and murderers, who have secretly, and in a way to save themselves from all responsibility for my acts, designated me as their agent, and have, through some other agent or pretended agent, made their wishes known to me. But being nevertheless individually unknown to me, and having no open, authentic contract with me, my oath is, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity as a pledge of faith to them. And being no pledge of faith to them, it is no pledge of faith to anybody. It is mere idle wind. At most, it is only a pledge of faith to an unknown band of robbers and murderers, whose instrument for plundering and murdering other people I thus publicly confess myself to be. And it has no other obligation than a similar oath given to any other unknown body of pirates, robbers, and murderers. For these reasons, the oaths taken by members of Congress to support the Constitution are, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity. They are not only criminal in themselves and therefore void, but they are also void for the further reason that they are given to nobody. It cannot be said that in any legitimate or legal sense they are given to the people of the United States, because neither the whole nor any large proportion of the whole people of the United States ever, either openly or secretly, appointed or designated these men as their agents to carry the Constitution into effect. The great body of the people, that is, men, women, and children, were never asked or even permitted to signify in any formal manner, either openly or secretly, their choice or wish on the subject. The most that these members of Congress can say in favor of their appointment is simply this, each one can say for himself. I have evidence satisfactory to myself that there exists scattered throughout the country a band of men having a tacit understanding with each other and calling themselves the people of the United States, whose general purposes are to control and plunder each other and all other persons in the country, and, so far as they can, even in neighboring countries, and to kill every man who shall attempt to defend his person and property against their schemes of plunder and dominion. Who these men are individually, I have no certain means of knowing, for they sign no papers and give no open, authentic evidence of their individual membership. They are not known individually even to each other. They are apparently as much afraid of being individually known to each other as of being known to other persons. Hence, they ordinarily have no mode either of exercising or of making known their individual membership, otherwise than by giving their votes secretly for certain agents to do their will. 
But although these men are individually unknown both to each other and to other persons, it is generally understood in the country that none but male persons of the age of 21 years and upwards can be members. It is also generally understood that all male persons born in the country have in certain complexions and in some localities certain amounts of property and in certain cases even persons of foreign birth are permitted to be members. But it appears that Usually, not more than one-half, two-thirds, or in some cases, three-fourths of all who are thus permitted to become members of the band ever exercise or consequently prove their actual membership in the only mode in which they ordinarily can exercise or prove it. That is to say, by giving their votes secretly for the officers or agents of the band. The number of these secret votes, so far as we have any account of them, varies greatly from year to year, thus tending to prove that the band, instead of being a permanent organization, is merely pro-tempore fair, with those who choose to act with it for the time being. The gross number of these secret votes, or what purports to be their gross number in different localities, is occasionally published. Whether these reports are accurate or not, we have no means of knowing. It is generally supposed that great frauds are often committed in depositing them. They are understood to be received and counted by certain men, who were themselves appointed for that purpose by the same secret process by which all other officers and agents of the band are selected. According to the reports of these receivers of votes, for whose accuracy or honesty, however, I cannot vouch, and according to my best knowledge of the whole number of male persons in my district who, it is supposed, were permitted to vote, it would appear that one-half, two-thirds, or three-fourths actually did vote. Who the men were individually who cast these votes, I have no knowledge, for the whole thing was done secretly. But of the secret votes, thus given for what they call a member of Congress, the receivers reported that I had a majority, or at least a larger number than any other one person. And it is only by virtue of such a designation that I am now here to act in concert with other persons similarly selected in other parts of the country. It is understood among those who sent me here that all the persons so selected will, on coming together at the city of Washington, take an oath in each other's presence to support the Constitution of the United States. By this is meant a certain paper that was drawn up 80 years ago. It was never signed by anybody and apparently has no obligation and never had any obligation as a contract. In fact, few persons ever read it, and doubtless much the largest number of those who voted for me and the others never even saw it, or now pretend to know what it means. Nevertheless, it is often spoken of in the country as the Constitution of the United States. And for some reason or another, the men who send me here seem to expect that I, and all with whom I act, will swear to carry this Constitution into effect. I am therefore ready to take this oath, and to cooperate with all others similarly selected who are ready to take the same oath. This is the most that any member of Congress can say in proof that he has any constituency, that he represents anybody, that his oath to support the Constitution is given to anybody or pledges his faith to anybody. He has no open, written, or other authentic evidence, such as is required in all other cases, that he has ever appointed the agent or representative of anybody. He has no written power of attorney from any single individual. He has no such legal knowledge as is required in all other cases, by which he can identify a single one of them who pretend to have appointed him to represent them. This oath, professedly given to them to support the Constitution, is, on general principles of law and reason, an oath given to nobody. It pledges his faith to nobody. If he fails to fulfill his oath, not a single person can come forward and say to him, you have betrayed me or broken faith with me. No one can come forward and say to him, I appointed you my attorney to act for me. I required you to swear that as my attorney you would support the Constitution. You promised me that you would do so, and now you have forfeited the oath you gave to me. No single individual can say this. No open, avowed, or responsible association or body of men can come forward and say to him, we appointed you our attorney to act for us. We required you to swear that as our attorney you would support the Constitution. You promised us that you would do so, and now you have forfeited the oath you gave to us. 
No open, avowed, or responsible association or body of men can say this to him, because there is no such association or body of men in existence. If anyone should assert that there is such an association, let him prove, if he can, who compose it. Let him produce, if he can, any open, written, or other authentic contract signed or agreed to by these men, forming themselves into an association, making themselves known as such to the world, appointing him as their agent, and making themselves individually or as an association responsible for his acts done by their authority. Until all this can be shown, no one can say that in any legitimate sense there is any such association, or that he is their agent, or that he ever gave his oath to them, or ever pledged his faith to them. On general principles of law and reason, it would be a sufficient answer for him to say to all individuals and all pretended associations of individuals who should accuse him of a breach of faith to them. I never knew you. Where is your evidence that you, either individually or collectively, ever appointed me your attorney? That you ever required me to swear to you that as your attorney I would support the Constitution? Or that I have now broken any faith I ever pledged to you? You may or you may not be members of that secret band of robbers and murderers who act in secret, appoint their agents by a secret ballot, who keep themselves individually unknown even to the agents they thus appoint. And who, therefore, cannot claim that they have any agents, or that any of their pretended agents ever gave his oath or pledged his faith to them? I repudiate you altogether. My oath was given to others, with whom you have nothing to do. Or it was idle wind, given only to the idle winds. Begone. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 12. For the same reasons, the oaths of all other pretended agents of this secret band of robbers and murderers are, on general principles of law and reason, equally destitute of obligation. They are given to nobody, but only to the winds. The oaths of the tax gatherers and treasurers of the band are, on general principles of law and reason, of no validity. If any tax gatherer, for example, should put money he receives into his own pocket and refuse to part with it, the members of this band could not say to him, you collected that money as our agent and for our uses and you swore to pay it over to us or to those we should appoint to receive it. You have betrayed us and broken faith with us. It would be a sufficient answer for him to say to them, I never knew you. You never made yourselves individually known to me. I never gave my oath to you as individuals. You may or may not be members of that secret band who appoint agents to rob and murder other people, but who are cautious not to make themselves individually known either to such agents or to those whom their agents are commissioned to rob. If you are members of that band, you have given me no proof that you ever commissioned me to rob others for your benefit. I never knew you, as individuals, and of course, never promised you that I would pay over to you the proceeds of my robberies. I committed my robberies on my own account and for my own profit. If you thought I was fool enough to allow you to keep yourselves concealed and use me as your tool for robbing other persons, or that I would take all the personal risk for the robberies and pay over the proceeds to you, you are particularly simple. As I took all the risk of my robberies, I proposed to take all the profits. Be gone. You are fools as well as villains. If I gave my oath to anybody, I gave it to other persons than you. But I really gave it to nobody. I only gave it to the winds. It answered my purposes at the time. It enabled me to get the money I was after, and now I propose to keep it. If you expected me to pay it over to you, you relied only upon that honor that is said to prevail among thieves. You now understand that is a very poor reliance. I trust you may become wise enough to never rely upon it again. If I have any duty in the matter, it is to give back the money to those whom I took it, not to pay it over to such villains such as you. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 13. On general principles of law and reason, the oaths which foreigners take on coming here and being naturalized, as it is called, are of no validity. They are necessarily given to nobody, because there is no open, authentic association to which they can join themselves or to whom, as individuals, they can pledge their faith. 
No such association or organization as the people of the United States having ever been formed by any open, written, authentic, or voluntary contract, there is, on general principles of law and reason, no such association or organization in existence. And all oaths that purport to be given to such an association are necessarily given only to the winds. They cannot be said to be given to any man or body of men as individuals because no man or body of men can come forward with any proof that the oaths were given to them as individuals or to any association of which they are members. To say that there is a tacit understanding among a portion of the male adults of the country that they will call themselves the people of the United States and that they will act in concert in subjecting the remainder of the people of the United States to their dominion, but that they will keep themselves personally concealed by doing all their acts secretly is wholly insufficient on general principles of law and reason to prove the existence of any such association or organization as the people of the United States, or consequently to prove that the oaths of foreigners were given to any such association. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 14. On general principles of law and reason, all the oaths which, since the war, have been given by Southern men, that they will obey the laws of Congress, support the Union, and the like, are of no validity. Such oaths are invalid not only because they were extorted by military power and threats of confiscation, and because they are in contravention of men's natural right to do as they please about supporting the government, but also because they are given to nobody. They were nominally given to the United States, but being nominally given to the United States, they were necessarily given to nobody. Because, on general principles of law and reason, there were no United States to whom the oaths could be given. That is to say, there was no open, authentic, avowed, legitimate association, corporation, or body of men known as the United States or as the people of the United States to whom the oaths could have been given. If anybody says that there was such a corporation, let him state who were the individuals who comprised it and how and when they became a corporation. Were Mr. A, Mr. B, and Mr. C members of it? If so, where are their signatures? Where is the evidence of their membership? Where the record? Where the open, authentic proof? There is none. Therefore, in law and reason, there was no such corporation. On general principles of law and reason, every corporation, association, or organized body of men having a legitimate corporate existence and legitimate corporate rights must consist of certain known individuals who can prove by legitimate and reasonable evidence their membership. But nothing of this kind can be proved in regard to the corporation or body of men who call themselves the United States. Not a man of them in all the northern states can prove by any legitimate evidence, such as are required to prove membership in other legal corporations, that he himself or any other man whom he can name is a member of any corporation or association called the United States or the people of the United States, or, consequently, that there is any such corporation. And since no such corporation can be proved to exist, it cannot, of course, be proved that the oaths of southern men were given to any such corporation. The most that can be claimed is that the oaths were given to a secret band of robbers and murderers who call themselves the United States and extorted those oaths. But that certainly is not enough to prove that the oaths are of any obligation. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 15. On general principles of law and reason, the oaths of soldiers that they will serve a given number of years, that they will obey the orders of their superior officers, that they will bear true allegiance to the government, and so forth, are of no obligation. Independently of the criminality of an oath that, for a given number of years, he will kill all whom he may be commanded to kill, without exercising his own judgment or conscience as to the justice or necessity of such killing, there is this further reason why a soldier's oath is of no obligation. That is to say, that like all the other oaths that have been now mentioned, it is given to nobody. 
there being in no legitimate sense any such corporation or nation as the United States, nor consequently in any legitimate sense any such government as the government of the United States, a soldier's oath given to or contract made with such nation or government is necessarily an oath given to or a contract made with nobody. Consequently, such oath or contract can be of no obligation. By Sander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 16. On general principles of law and reason, the treaties, so-called, which purport to be entered into with other nations by persons calling themselves ambassadors, secretaries, presidents, and senators of the United States, in the name and in behalf of the people of the United States, are of no validity. These so-called ambassadors, secretaries, presidents, and senators, who claim to be the agents of the people of the United States for making these treaties, can show no open, written, or other authentic evidence that either the whole people of the United States or any other open, avowed, responsible body of men calling themselves by that name ever authorized these pretended ambassadors and others to make treaties in the name of or binding upon any one of the people of the United States or any other open, avowed, responsible body of men calling themselves by that name, ever authorized these pretended ambassadors, secretaries, and others, in their name and behalf, to recognize certain other persons, calling themselves emperors, kings, queens, and the like, as the rightful rulers, sovereigns, masters, or representatives of the different peoples whom they assume to govern, to represent, and to bind. The nations, as they are called, with whom our pretended ambassadors, secretaries, presidents, and senators profess to make treaties, are as much myths as our own. On general principles of law and reason, there are no such nations. That is to say, neither the whole people of England, for example, nor any open, avowed, re responsible body of men calling themselves by that name ever, by any open, written, or other authentic contract with each other, form themselves into any bona fide, legitimate association or organization, or authorize any king, queen, or other representative to make treaties in their name or to bind them, either individually or as an association by such treaties. Our pretended treaties, then, being made with no legitimate or bona fide nations or representatives of nations, and being made on our part by persons who have no legitimate authority to act for us, have intrinsically no more validity than a pretended treaty made by the man in the moon with the king of the Pelides. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 17. On general principles of law and reason, debts contracted in the name of the United States or the people of the United States are of no validity. It is utterly absurd to pretend that debts to the amount of 2,500 millions of dollars are binding upon 35 or 40 millions of people when there is not a particle of legitimate evidence, such as would be required to prove a private debt, that can be produced against any one of them, that either he or his properly authorized attorney ever contracted to pay one cent. Certainly neither the whole people of the United States nor any number of them ever separately or individually contracted to pay a cent of these debts. Certainly, also, neither the whole people of the United States, nor any number of them ever by any open, written, or other authentic or voluntary contract, united themselves as a firm corporation or association by the name of the United States, or the people of the United States, and authorized their agents to contract debts in their name. Certainly, too, there is in existence no such firm corporation or association as the United States or the people of the United States formed by any open, written, or other authentic and voluntary contract and having corporate property with which to pay these debts. 
How, then, is it possible on any general principles of law or reason that debts that are binding upon nobody individually can be binding upon 40 millions of people collectively when, on general and legitimate principles of law and reason, these 40 millions of people neither have nor ever had any corporate property, never made any corporate or individual contract, and neither have nor ever had any corporate existence? Who then created these debts in the name of the United States? Why? At most, only a few persons calling themselves members of Congress, etc., who pretended to represent the people of the United States, but who really represented only a secret band of robbers and murderers, who wanted money to carry on the robberies and murders in which they were then engaged, and who intended to extort from the future people of the United States by robbery and threats of murder, and real murder, if that should prove necessary, the means to pay these debts. This band of robbers and murderers, who are the real principals in contracting these debts, is a secret one, because its members have never entered into any open, written, avowed, or authentic contract by which they may be individually known to the world or even to each other. Their real or pretended representatives who contracted these debts in their name were selected, if selected at all, for that purpose secretly, by secret ballot and in a way to furnish evidence against none of the principals individually, and these principals were known individually neither to their pretended representatives who contracted these debts in their behalf, nor to those who lent the money. The money, therefore, was all borrowed and lent in the dark, that is, by men who did not see each other's faces, or know each other's names, who could not then and cannot now identify each other as principals in the transactions, and who consequently can prove no contract with each other. Furthermore, the money was all lent and borrowed for criminal purposes, that is, for purposes of robbery and murder, and for this reason, the contracts were all intrinsically void, and would have been so even though the real parties, borrowers and lenders, had come face to face, and made their contracts openly in their own proper names. Furthermore, the secret band of robbers and murderers, who were the real borrowers of this money, having no legitimate corporate existence, have no corporate property with which to pay these debts. They do indeed pretend to own large tracts of wild lands lying between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans and between the Gulf of Mexico and the North Pole. But, on general principles of law and reason, they might as well pretend to own the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans themselves or the atmosphere and the sunlight and to hold them and dispose of them for the payment of these debts. Having no corporate property with which to pay what purports to be their corporate debts, the secret band of robbers and murderers are really bankrupt. They have nothing to pay with. In fact, they do not propose to pay their debts otherwise than from the proceeds of their future robberies and murders. They are confessedly their sole reliance, and were known to be such by the lenders of the money at the time the money was lent. And it was, therefore, virtually a part of their contract that the money should be repaid only from the proceeds of these future robberies and murders. For this reason, if for no other, the contracts were void from the beginning. In fact, these apparently two classes, borrowers and lenders, were really one and the same class. They borrowed and lent money from and to themselves. They themselves were not only part and parcel, but the very life and soul of the secret band of robbers and murderers who borrowed and spent the money. Individually, they furnished money for a common enterprise, taking in return what purported to be corporate promises for individual loans. The only excuse they had for taking these so-called corporate promises of for individual loans by the same parties was that they might have some apparent excuse for the future robberies of the band, that is, to pay the debts of the corporation. And they might also know what shares they were to be respectively entitled to out of the proceeds of their future robberies. Finally, if these debts had been created for the utmost innocent and honest purposes, 
and in the most open and honest manner. By the real parties to the contracts, these parties could thereby have bound nobody but themselves and no property but their own. They could have bound nobody that should have come after them, and no property subsequently created by or belonging to other persons. Lysander Spooner's No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority, Part 18. The Constitution having never been signed by anybody, and there being no other open, written, or authentic contract between any parties whatever, by virtue of which the United States government so-called is maintained, and it being well known that none but male persons of 21 years of age and upwards are allowed any voice in the government, and it also being well known that a large number of those adult persons seldom or never vote at all, and that all those who do vote do so secretly by secret ballot and in a way to prevent their individual votes being known, either to the world or even to each other, and consequently in a way to make no one openly responsible for the acts of their agents or representatives, all these things being known, the questions arise. Who composed the real governing power in this country? Who are the men, the responsible men, who rob us of our property, restrain us of our liberty, subject us to their arbitrary dominion, and devastate our homes and shoot us down by the hundreds of thousands if we resist? How shall we find these men? How shall we know them from others? How shall we defend ourselves and our property against them? Who of our neighbors are members of the secret band of robbers and murderers? How can we know which are their houses, that we may burn or demolish them? Which their property, that we may destroy it? Which their persons, that we may kill them, and rid the world and ourselves of such tyrants and monsters? These are questions that must be answered before men can be free, before they can protect themselves against the secret band of robbers and murderers who now plunder and slave and destroy them. The answer to these questions is that only those who have the will and the power to shoot down their fellow men are the real rulers in this, as in all other so-called civilized countries, for by no others will civilized men be robbed or enslaved. Among savages, mere physical strength on the part of one man may enable him to rob, enslave, or kill another man. Among barbarians, mere physical strength on the part of a body of men, disciplined and acting in concert, though with very little money or other wealth, may, under some circumstances, enable them to rob, enslave, or kill another body of men as numerous or perhaps even more numerous than themselves. And among both savages and barbarians, mere want may sometimes compel one man to sell himself as a slave to another. But with so-called civilized peoples, among whom knowledge, wealth, and the means of acting in concert have become diffused, and who have invented such weapons and other means of defense as to render mere physical strength of less importance, and by whom soldiers in any requisite number, and any other instrumentalities of war in any requisite amount, can always be had for money. The question of war, and consequently the question of power, is little else more than a mere question of money. As a necessary consequence, those who stand ready to furnish this money are the real rulers. It is so in Europe, and it is so in this country. In Europe, the nominal rulers, the emperors and kings and parliaments, are anything but the real rulers of their respective countries. They are little or nothing else than mere tools, employed by the wealthy who rob, enslave, and if need be, murder those who have less wealth or none at all. The Rothschilds, and that class of moneylenders, of whom they are the representatives and agents, men who never think of lending a shilling to the next-door neighbors for purposes of honest industry, unless upon the most ample security and at the highest rate of interest, stand ready at all times to lend money of unlimited amounts to those robbers and murderers who call themselves governments, in shooting down those who do not submit quietly to being robbed and enslaved. They lend their money in this manner, knowing that it is to be expended in murdering their fellow men, 
for simply seeking their liberty and their rights, knowing also that neither the interest nor the principal will ever be paid, except as it will be extorted on the terror of the repetition of such murders as those for which the money is lent to be expended. These moneylenders, the Rothschilds, for example, say to themselves, if we lend a hundred million sterling to the Queen and Parliament of England, it will enable them to murder twenty, fifty, or a hundred thousand people in England, Ireland, or India, and the terror inspired by such wholesale murder will enable them to keep the whole people of those countries in subjection for twenty, or perhaps fifty years to come, to control all their trade and industry, and to extort from them large amounts of money, under the name of taxes, and from the wealth thus extorted from them, they, the Queen and Parliament, can afford to pay us a higher rate of interest for our money than we can get in any other way. Or, if we lend this sum to the Emperor of Austria, it will enable him to murder so many of his people as to strike terror into the rest, and thus enable him to keep them in subjection, and extort money from them, for twenty or fifty years to come. And they say the same in regard to the Emperor of Russia, the King of Prussia, the Emperor of France, or any other ruler, so-called, who, in their judgment, will be able, by murdering a reasonable portion of his people, to keep the rest in subjection, and extort money from them, for a long time to come, to pay the interest and principal of the money lent him. And why are these men so ready to lend money for murdering their fellow men? Solely for this reason. That is to say, that such loans are considered better investments than loans for purposes of honest industry. They pay higher rates of interest, and it is less trouble to look after them. This is the whole matter. The question of making these loans is, with these lenders, a mere question of pecuniary profit. They lend money to be expended in robbing, enslaving, and murdering their fellow men, solely because, on the whole, such loans pay better than any others. They are no respecters of persons, no superstitious fools, that reverence monarchs. They care no more for a king or an emperor than they do for a beggar, except as he is a better customer, and can pay them better interest for their money. If they doubt his ability to make his murder successful for maintaining his power, and thus extorting money from his people in future, they dismiss him as unceremoniously as they would dismiss any other hopeless bankrupt who should want to borrow money to save himself from open insolvency. When these great lenders of blood money, like the Rothschilds, have loaned vast sums in this way for purposes of murder to an emperor or a king, they sell out the bonds taken by them in small amounts to anybody and everybody who are disposed to buy them at satisfactory prices to hold as investments. They, the Rothschilds, thus soon get back their money with great profits, and are now ready to lend money in the same way again to any other robber or murderer called an emperor or a king, necessary to be successful in his robberies and murders, and able to pay a good price for the money necessary to carry them on. The business of lending blood money is one of the most thoroughly sordid, cold-blooded, and criminal that was ever carried on, to any considerable extent, amongst human beings. It is like lending money to slave traders, or to common robbers and pirates to be repaid out of their plunder. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.